0: What is up, guys? Thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. we got a lot to talk about on today's podcast, though we will try to keep it a little more brief than normal, considering this is a late-night edition for when we're recording this podcast. This is like a a midnight (laughs) recording we're doing. But we still want to make sure we got stuff in, because there's a lot of big stories this week. Um, Obviously, the final four is this weekend, Gonzaga, my Gonzaga Bulldogs. In the Final Four, they face UCLA. Baylor faces Houston. We'll talk about their pass to this Final Four, along with, of course, a preview of what the games will look like this weekend. We also had a major uh, a major coaching, or two really major coaching moves in college basketball. Roy Williams, the legendary coach at North Carolina, retires. And uh, now former Texas Tech coach Chris Beard. Uh, it's crazy to say he's a former Texas Tech coach, but now he is staying within the conference but moving uh, moving further east to the, down the state as he now takes the job over in Austin, uh, coaching the University of Texas. So, we'll give you guys our thoughts on that. We had Kevin Durant apologizing for a beef with Michael Ravapore and we had some very questionable commentary surrounding Justin Fields' draft prospects. So, a lot to get to on today's podcast. Joining me is my co host, Kendall. Um, we're starting opening week, opening day in baseball this week. And while the Mets did not play because there was, of course, the um, COVID situation with the Nationals, and it's unclear if they're even going to play the Nationals this weekend, they did make a big splash because uh, right before uh, it struck midnight on opening day, Francisco Lindor agreed to a 10-year, $341 million extension to stay with the Amazons. Kendall, is this good money or bad money? Uh, I thought you were going to talk about how the Mets are bringing back the black unis. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> another big. That's another big <laughs> news. I I I posted it on Twitter. I've had some responses to it, and most of them positive. But I'm really contemplating to celebrate the Mets' return to baseball, Lindor signing, and the black unis returning. I'm very close to dropping the bucket and dropping some uh some some major dollars on a Mike Piazza black alternate uniform in the 2000 world <laughs> series i'm so close to dropping it for the jersey i'm like I'm, I'm gonna i think i'm gonna do it man i'm getting a lot of encouragement to do it yeah why not i mean it, it, you know uh it's certainly um
1: that's certainly a vintage retro i know that's that's ej more so ej style nowadays but um but yeah uh that, that's certainly a heck of a splash for them as to the Lindor. door obviously when you bring him in Um, you know, I don't think you know Cohen is was brought in to uh
0: to to penny pinch, yeah, (laughs) Uh, certainly not, or to rent. You made you know big stars. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, this isn't a shock
1: that once you bring in a guy like Lindor, that you're going to keep him in town. Um, I'm I'm obviously like you mentioned, opening day. uh, I'm sure next week we'll be able to get to a little bit more baseball uh maybe give a little bit of a, of a season preview but yeah. um know yeah, i'm just excited my giants right now are, you know it's midnight we're trending towards a 1 and 0 start so buster posey win win yard um so good start to good start to this season for the uh three time in the last decade
0: uh <laughs> world series champs so. Well, for the Giants, man, the wins may be few and far between, so you should be happy about every single one. <laughs> in regards to Lindor, I think that this is good money. I believe that he's the kind of play, He's There are very few players, me in baseball, where you're talking about the $300 million number being somewhat reasonable. And to yes. me, he's on that list. The right age, the right talent, the right position, the right all position. those things that he does. He's a premium of premium type of player. I know some people say, "Oh, his numbers last year were a little suspect." I it was a pandemic; it was a weird year. I just don't. I don't care what he did last year. I'm gonna be honest, and it wasn't like he was awful, but it clearly wasn't though. 300 million dollar last year. But I, I don't really care about that. Um, this guy has been elite pretty much since he stepped on the baseball field with the uh, with the Cleveland Indians. So to me, I don't expect him. To to play like he did last year, I think he's going to be your thirty home run, 100 RBI, multiple stolen base, top notch glove at the shortstop kind of player. And yeah. that guy, like if you want to, if you ever want to get a guy like that, he's going to cost you 340 million. So like like some of these, heard some people say, oh, how could you really support you know paying a guy you know 34 million dollars a year you know and when he's 38 years old? It's like, look, this is just the price of business. Like the Mets has not been in on these kind of players. It seems like. Since I don't know who was the last big signing, you would say, like, like really big signing. Last really big signing, uh, was Johan, Johan signing or was that a trade? Beltran was, Beltran a, trade. was a signing, but yo, I say Johan was probably after Johan was after Beltran, so I would yeah, probably yeah. say Johan Santana. Johan, yeah. Like they've gotten good guys, but like not anybody that's like, you try- he might be the high paid player in baseball kind of guy. Like they got in Cespedes, they got in Jason Bay, they've gotten other players. But nobody like this guy. And they resigned, you know, DeGrom, they resigned. But he took a, a big discount now, especially when you see the money that's being thrown around to these players this uh, this offseason. Um, so, like, to me, this is what Mets fans wanted. They wanted to be in on these top-notch guys, the mega-money guys. So uh, you can't complain now that you're, you're spending the money. And by all accounts, Cohen is willing to spend more uh, as long as it doesn't impede on re-signing Conforto. I see zero downside to this, and even if it does, I, I mean I'd rather have him than Conforto. So I don't I don't know what the complaints are. So this was good. I think it's all good news. I'm really excited for baseball season. Unfortunately, unfortunate Mets didn't get to get get uh, uh uh get out of the blocks this 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 opening day, but it should be a good season. And as uh, Kendall said, we will probably be able to talk more baseball next week. But let's begin with the final four, Kendall. So we are down to our last weekend of march madness and now technically becomes april madness i guess cuz we're in uh, april so the top seeded gonzaga bulldogs really took care of their end of the bracket there was not really much of any kind of discussion or, or scare from them uh, in their first two in their, in their uh, regional semifinal and final games uh, ucla the little engine that could is weird to say that about ucla but the 11 seed somehow Still in this tournament after having been in the first four, made it all the way to the final four with a, a last second win, uh, holding on against Michigan. And then you got the two Texas schools, Baylor and Houston. Baylor, it looks like a team to me getting stronger as the tournament moves on, and a Houston team that is just resilient, it's just tough. Uh, it, you know, it, sometimes you call it lucky. I don't know how you call it skill. I don't know whatever you call it, but they they find a way, no matter what situation is, to come up with a W at the end of it, despite how it looks. So that is our Final Four this year. Kendall, are you surprised by this group? What do you make of this group, and how do you see this shaking out?
1: So this feels like such a weird Final Four because, on paper, your initial thought is that it's kind of weak. No blue bloods.
0: um well, UCLA, is is a, UCLA is a blue blood, but they, they, they're not. Fair enough. They're not typical, but they're, I mean, yeah. and it's always weird to say they don't have talent, because I mean, you're in the Final Four, so they have talent. But it's not the powerhouse you're typically, you're used to typically seeing from right. a blue blood program. Yeah. And UCLA, say. I mean, let's call it what it is, they've been down. You know? 100%, like, yeah.
1: You know, even if Duke would have snuck in, it would have been, oh, well, it's Duke, you know, but like, yeah. you know, UCLA, you know, they haven't been to a Final Four since Howland. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, but yeah, like, you, you know, obviously you have the, the only blue blood in the in the in the, in the region is the, is the Cinderella is that eleven seed. Yeah, yeah, there is Cinderella in this final four. And then you've got uh, three other teams that, you know, are one and two seeds, but aren't traditionally final four caliber programs. Obviously, uh, Gonzaga has been there recently and uh, Houston has been there historically, but and Baylor, you know, this is their first time ever? I
0: think yeah, it's hers
1: I I heard, heard since, like, the 50s. Okay, since the 50s. Yeah, back when the NIT, uh, you know, <laughs> was the premier tournament. Shout out to Penny Hardaway. Memphis Tigers for getting the NIT title. Yeah, um, well, they're going to
0: need to fill out that roster because they just lost, like, sure. four four transfers. So,
1: Look, man, the portal works both
0: ways. You'll, you'll well, see the guy won a title and decided to, to continue their journey elsewhere. Um... Yeah, no, this is uh so this is a very interesting Final
1: Four. But again, when you dig into it, like I mean Gonzaga and Baylor obviously are, are juggernaut teams. You can say what you want about the programs yeah. historically, but these teams are juggernauts. I mean, you texted me this weekend saying like Gonzaga and Baylor could have been the national championship game last year. Yes. So this idea that these teams kinda came out of nowhere isn't isn't
0: legitimate or this idea that these teams, you know, this is a surprise, <laughs> you know, there's no surprise when it comes to. Yeah, it's only a surprise if you've not paid attention since last season.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is,
1: uh, and then when, again, that Houston team to me is, is the one where I don't know, I don't know what to make of them. Cause like you said, they, they have a team of destiny kind of feel where like, they, just know win game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know how to win games. They you know how to, you know, how to find ways to win games. But I just don't think that that w- brand of basketball is gonna fly against teams like Baylor and Gonzaga.
0: It's, I mean, I don't think I don't think you're gonna have to worry about them facing. Will you say? Will you say that brand of basketball? What do you mean? So, I guess.
1: Oh, I guess I'll put it like this. You know, this is a, a Houston team. Obviously, people have, you know, if you followed. Hasn't played uh, a single-digit seed
0: in this entire tournament. Yeah, the first, keep first thing to ever do this.
1: To be, yeah, the first Go to the, the Final
0: Four and mean. not play a team that's less than a 10 seed. Or um, a 10 seed, however you think of it. You know, and, like, I, I you, they're just a, so,
1: there are so many teams that I look and I'm like, they could have done the exact same thing that aren't in the Final Four. And again, not a knock to them. Because, I mean, like, Alabama was a two-seed. Face an 11th seed in UCLA, and they couldn't beat them. So, yeah. like, Houston beating Syracuse is an accomplishment. Houston beating Rutgers was an accomplishment. Um beating beat Oregon. Beating Oregon State. Like, yeah, the they've been playing. Oregon State. That, 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 an Oregon State team that beat Loyola beat down Loyola. Uh, you know, a Loyola yeah. team that beat down Illinois. So, I mean, all this stuff, like, sure, you can say what you want about the single-digit seed thing. But, but again, it's not only what they've done in this tournament, but all season – They've avoided stiff competition. You know, people would like to talk about Gonzaga and talk about the conference they're in, and you know, you know it's an easy conference, the West Coast Conference. Like BYU, Gonzaga facing BYU in the conference in the conference play, BYU would have been the best team that Houston faced all season, outside yes. of Texas Tech, who was a six seed just like BYU was. Right, who same Played same. in like the first game in the season. Yeah. The, the best team they played all year was Memphis twice. Shout out to Memphis, but they're an NIT team. And they almost lost them, probably should have lost them both times they played them. So, you know, again, I'm I mean, I'm not saying that means that this Houston team stinks, but now you're going to run into the buzzsaw that is Baylor? And you you expect me to think that they're going to be able to beat them? I, the only thing I'll say is, that, is this. The style of play of both teams is conducive to their potentially being an upset, because I don't see this game getting out of hand mm-hmm. from a like, I mean, it could Baylor could, could put it on him, but I could also see a, a game that is nip and tuck physical. If they can muddy the game a little bit, you can keep it close. And if that happens, like the Houston has the shot makers, particularly Quentin Grimes, Marcus Sasser, when he, when he's able to hit shots, those guys, even to John he, he can get buckets at times. Like, but particularly Grimes, like if it's a close game, he might be the best shot maker on the floor. Yes. Between the two teams. So that's what they're gonna need. But I again I just I have trouble thinking that they're gonna be able to, you know, <laughs> to score consistently against Baylor. You know, like Grimes, the best defender he will have faced all season is gonna be Davion Mitchell. Yeah. Who, who I would be I would almost certainly
0: imagine will be on will have the assignment to Quentin Grimes. Yeah, I mean, I would put him on. Him. I mean, there's a there's a there's a notion that maybe he'll he'll start on Sasser, but I mean, right. Just if you guys have you guys haven't watched uh, Mitchell defensively. He he may be the best on ball defender in college basketball, and you know Sasser's a good player, but to me, and they have a lot of good defenders, but Grimes, I mean, besides anybody in Gonzaga, is like the most explosive scorer left. So to me, yeah. I'm putting my best guy on him, especially on a team that they have a lot of little guys. So, you know, Butler could easily move on to Sassman. Butler's a good defender, too. Um, or T can move on. They, they could put a lot of people on. But I, w- I would think that Mitchell's going to take that matchup. He's small, but he, he has the fight. It's not yeah. about the, the size of the fight and the dog. It's about the dog or whatever the, the thing is. He has He's it. Like, <laughs> the size of the fight and the dog. Yeah, exactly. That's the size of the dog in the fight.
1: Exactly. Um... But yeah, yeah. So I mean, that matchup to me is interesting. I mean, look, the Gonzaga UCLA matchup. Uh, I'll let you go on that one, but mm-hmm. you know, to me, it feels hard to believe that this UCLA team can match up with them. Like they were able to match up with Michigan, you know, who's a very good team. So credit to them. But like that Michigan team doesn't have the firepower
0: that this Gonzaga team does. So I, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 in terms of the Gonzaga. I think you you had a really good breakdown. I think of the Houston. Baylor matchup. I think with Gonzaga and UCLA, you know, it's funny because like as a when you watch these games and your team is in it, I don't know how I don't know how you feel. I mean, you know, I forgot Egypt. I know. But (laughs) you've been but you've had a team go all the way in that championship game before. Yeah, man. And like, to me, in my head, I don't know, maybe I'm like super humble, but in my head, I'm always thinking of like I always have way too much respect for the other team. I'm always thinking of how this other team could win if my team doesn't play well. So, yeah. now, to me, it was inconceivable that, like, that was going to happen because of the teams Gonzaga was playing. Player like, Eric telling me that USC was going to be a problem. I I didn't see that unless Gonzaga played terribly. But, I mean, I've seen Gonzaga not show up for games. You I know, mean, it's it's happened. It's happened during this regular season. It's crazy as that sounds. They've won all their games, but... There were plenty of games in the in the West Coast Conference where they're down, you know, in the second half against Pacific. You know, like, games where you're just like, yo, if they play like that, like, they could lose. Now, of course, you know, your antennas are not going to be dialed up against Pacific in a random January game than they are for the Final Four. <laughs> but it's just, I'm always thinking about that. So, to me, I have a lot of respect for this UCLA team. I, I think where the UCLA team, where I think where the problems lie for UCLA is... The one thing that is their advantage, that I think they're kind of, they're impressive in that they can kind of play any kind of game. Like, they've shown me they can play a track meet, which is bizarre that their track meet was against Michigan State, but that was the track meet, that game. And maybe that was some poor coaching that it became like that. Um, But then they've also shown me they could win a slugfest, which was the game against Michigan. So to me, Gonzaga is like, what makes them so difficult is that they could beat you in like, is literally a zillion ways. So I think a team's ability to play multiple styles of basketball and not be so uncomfortable, I think, is important. I think UCLA, because of their guard play, um, they're not gonna be afraid to get up and down. And because of they're just they're not necessarily that big, but they're 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 tough guys. They're tough. They have a tough coach, and they're individually all those guys are tough. So if the, the game does become more difficult, which I think is what they're gonna want to do they'll be they'll be comfortable in that kind of game i think the problem with with, with lies with uh with with uh ucla is right now drew timmy for for gonzaga is like i said it before i mean he's a terminator right now
1: I mean, yeah. what he did to evan mobley
0: you last I, last game he's was the best just, player in yeah yeah he is he's the best player in, in, in america in college basketball and i you know cody riley got in foul trouble the last game like i, I I don't think he has any chance to guard Timmy. Like, I think he's either going to get foul out or he's going to have a tough time. So, and he's really their only guy that they had that, like, really, they're not a big team. So, he's, like, really their only big worth mentioning. And what I've seen with Gonzaga is they've determined that they're going to play inside out. And if you can't stop Timmy, you're not going to stop the Zags. Like, the Zags haven't had to go to plan B yet in this tournament. And what's funny about Gonzaga, and I say this all the time to you, is sometimes I think because of how the team jumped onto the scene with Matt Santangelo and Richie Fromm and Dan Dickau and and eventually you know Adam Morrison with guys like that, Gonzaga's had this notion of oh they're a three point shooting finesse team, and they were at one point that was that's factual, but if you watched <laughs> Gonzaga for the last seven years eight years, they're a sledgehammer. <laughs> Mark Few plays inside out. He's going to hit you down low, and if you have to, and he's going to force you to either double or uh, or let that person, whether it be Chuck Karnowski, whether it be Wilcher, whether it be uh, Sabonis, whether it be Rui Hachimura, whether it now be Drew Timmy, or last year Petrosev, who's going to be an NBA player this year. Now, this year, Drew Timmy, if you don't stop that guy, you have no chance to begin with. And the problem becomes once you can't, if you do stop him and you start double teaming, then a guy like Kispert gets off. Then the driving lanes open up for Jalen Suggs. Then they're able to get into their open court game. That's what makes them so deadly. So to me, if UCLA can't handle Timmy, which I don't think they can, I, don't, I think like they're dead on arrival. But that's how I kind of envision the game. But again, I've seen Gonzaga not play well. So my thing is like, hey man, if they don't play well, they're not like so unbeatable where they can play terrible and beat a good team, in my opinion, and that's maybe sounds crazy because I'm a Gonzaga fan, but I've seen them play terrible against really bad teams, and like seen how that looks like, and like their their defense sometimes can be up and down. What I think has been the most encouraging sign for Gonzaga is I've not seen their defense slip this this whole tournament. Um, Austin Reeves had a had a great first half against them, but I mean that was to me great individual play. I didn't think that was terrible defense. I, I, you know, a few end up making adjustments. And they kind of they didn't they slowed him down a little bit in the second half. He had a big game, but overall they really shut down. Three thing does
1: scare me a little bit because I feel like Juzang and Hakez might be able to
0: tap into that a little bit. I um, think the difference though is what I what I've seen from Gonzaga, and I saw it a little bit since that game. Is I just think they turn up the screws much more in their help defense and their trapping defense out of switches. Yeah, whether it be a switch on. The perimeter, which is what happened with Austin Reed. But then we started seeing it with switches in the post, too. Which they kind of always do, but I just think they've been more attentive recently. Like we saw against Evan Mobley in this last game. Where they're just not going to let guys who get caught on switches just get killed. I thought Charles Barkley made a very good point when he mentioned that. So, you're right, but I just... The way they're playing defense right now, I don't think that those guys are going to be able to get off. The 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 one guy that this could be an X-factor for
1: UCLA... And outside of Marcus Zagorowski, but even including Zagorowski a little bit, I don't think they've really faced a real point guard. Mm. And so Tiger Campbell is like going to be two, the— Like a two-floor general. Yeah, yeah, 1st true two-floor general right. that they faced all tournament. And that's going to really—I mean, it's helped UCLA all tournament, but it's going to yeah. help them in this game um, in terms of keeping the tempo under control— playing the game the way Mick wants them to wants it to be played. UC, USC had no point guard out there. Um Crean had Zagorowski, who, you know, it wasn't awful, but like <laughs> you know, first of all, not not exactly, you know, a four general, but right. um like also like he needs he, he, like they need him to just to just get buying. He needs he's a scorer. Yeah, he's a scorer. Right. Um and then like OU had Reeves who was also just trying. Scorer. You know? And they didn't have Davion Harmon. So like, this is the, this is going to be the first... This is going to be the first time they face a, a guard like that. Um, so the turnovers, you would imagine, will, will, will be lesser for UCLA than they, than they have been. Um, for these other teams, yeah. For these other teams. That's going to help. Um, but again, I just... <laughs> I, I just look at the matchups. I'm like, man, you know, Gonzaga's got... You know, like, you know, Penny Hardaway was on uh, first take and, and undisputed. Um... Earlier today, and he he was talking about Gonzaga, and he was like, they have two pros at every at every spot, you know, two two pros at, at guard, two pros on the wing, two pros at, at, in the at, uh, in the front court, like, yeah. uh, not to mention they got guys coming off the bench who are gonna be pros, like, um, so yeah, this is gonna I mean this is gonna be uh, the biggest challenge that UCLA uh has faced all season certainly, and it's gonna be it's, it's hard to it's hard to believe that that they're gonna win this game. Um, it's not impossible because like you said we've seen Gonzaga struggle against you know lesser teams. I think they're gonna ha- they're going to have to get Timmy in foul trouble. I think a lot of
0: times that's been the one thing that I think no team has really unlocked. Really, yeah. I mean, he he got in a little bit of foul trouble, I think, against Creighton, right. but it wasn't enough to really like impact the game. Yeah, but that that to me, I that to me is the thing that they they need. They need to get him out of the game. They need to make it I, a little guy game. They could they may lose a little guy game, but they can't make it a little guy game with those guys, with Jalen Suggs and <laughs> Nemhard and Ayayi, <laughs> and then also have Timmy out there. Like there's no yeah. chance. You know what I'm saying? You got yeah. you, you gotta get him in foul trouble. And I will say, Hakez, his ability to to, to to slash and Juzang, they can draw fouls. Yeah. So if if they're able to get into the paint and draw some fouls, you know, maybe they, and then maybe even Cody Riley maybe can draw some files. Also, maybe they play play inside out, too.
1: In a potential matchup with Baylor, those guards are going to have to get to the basket.
0: Yeah. Uh, And that's another thing, too, is that if you're looking at weaknesses in this jargon of Gonzaga, and uh, um, I forgot, uh, Spinarco said it in one of the games, you know, they don't have a rim protector.
2: Um, No. The
0: only only guy that would conceivably be one is Balo on their bench, and he's not playing in this tournament. He's not in the rotation. So. They, so I mean, if you can get into the paint, you know Timmy's not blocking a lot of shots. He's big, you know. It's not like he's easy to score over, him but, um, but you know Watson, not a great shot blocker. He's he's, a, he's an athletic kid, but he's certainly certainly a guy you can finish through. So I, I think anybody who's playing them, yeah, you you gotta attack the rim. You cannot settle for threes, and you gotta try to get Timmy in foul trouble. But I think it's gonna be a long day. Most likely, it will be a long day for UCLA. Um. Uh, the offensive game they played in that last game was was uh, they played a physical game, but it was a putrid offensive performance. They can't they play that against Gonzaga? It's a twenty point loss. I think if you don't score at least seventy five points, you have no chance. I think in this tournament against them, or I'll say seventy. I mean, maybe if you keep the game in a slow pace, maybe you keep them to yeah. 68, 67, But if you don't you don't score seventy, you're not winning. That's how. that team just has so many x factors. I think the I think the primary x factor.
1: Is Kispert, because I mean, it's a guy this we have crazy because he's the
0: he's a West you know. Coast Conference
1: Player of the Year, but yeah, yeah and it's like because against these power five teams, they like to play through Timmy because I mean, he no big man in the country can guard him one on one, but he has such a advanced post game, you know. It's again, it's very Car- not not card, he's very, very uh, Kaminsky esque, very Kelly olenek esque. Um, you know, I mean, on the college level, he's like Kevin McHale, so it's like just keep throwing him the ball. Like, but, and we talked about the guard play. You have got a you know an NBA point guard like Jalen Suggs. If you take those guys away, I mean Kispert can can you know he can just hit bombs all yeah. game. You know, so like there's just so many aspects of this Gonzaga team that you need to go wrong for your and, team. To and
0: and Gonzaga is looked this dominant
1: but... because he's not going to struggle in the polls. I've never seen Timmy struggle in the polls. Maybe against West Virginia. That was the, <laughs> was like game. the one game where yeah. he kind of was he kind of struggling in that game but like it's very rare he struggles in the post but you need timmy to either, you need timmy to get in foul trouble you need Suggs and nimhar to not be hitting jump shots and then Yai to not be hitting jump shots and then you need Kisper to not be hitting jump shots and it, that's happened very few times this year a couple times it has and i'll be I honest have,
0: kendall gonzaga day. has not had the patented you know vintage kispert performance in this tournament and Maybe you could say that's concerning, but I'd, I'd say that's bad news for these teams because I think he's due. Like he has right. not had a, a big game. He's he's hit his threes. He's played okay, but um, was it, was I mean it, I, I've it, seen I've seen him just get teams out of the paint really fast. Yeah. <laughs> just him alone, he's like a nine zero run on by himself. Uh, game, he did he did it in the West Coast Conference Final and the Virginia yeah. game was a, is one of the main games that sticks out to me. That's what I was thinking about when I made that point. Like he hasn't had that game yet, so. And again, I'm a, you're assuming that after what teams have seen from Drew Timmy, that there's just, I can't imagine UCLA is not going to try to double him and just not let him do what he's doing. If that's the yeah. case, uh, you may be seeing a bombs away performance from from Kisper really soon. And that's the thing. I think these teams on film, they go back to that Virginia game, like, don't let Kisper. You cannot let that guy get open. Right. And so Timmy's just getting one-on-one every game and he, <laughs> you can't stop him. Yeah. So, it like, you damn if you do damn if you don't with this team. I mean, and Creighton tried to play – I mean, they tried to just rotate off of Ayayi. And, like, again, that's what's so dangerous about this team because you could watch maybe three, four games in a row where Ayayi's not killing you. You're like, oh, maybe we'll let him do something. And then Ayayi hit three threes in the first half. So, yeah. you know, it's like all these guys are really good. Maybe you might not have seen them play a great game, but trust me, they're capable. So it's not really a team with many offensive weaknesses. You, I mean, you, if you're
1: a UCLA, you just got to hope – look, playing Lucas Oil Stadium – um, it's gonna be, a, I would imagine, a different uh, setup than it's been, than it was for the Elite Eight. I imagine. It's I be hope. A- I hope so.
0: I hope it's the whole yeah. dome setup. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I imagine it's gonna be the whole dome, and if it is, you know, I mean, you've gotta, you just gotta, yeah, I hope that that throws that them per- off. That that perception maybe yeah, throws that up the shooters. Kids for that struggle shooting. for has trouble shooting. Suggs has trouble shooting. Even if that happens, then it's, it's a Timmy show. <laughs> gonna- All right,
0: yeah, Timmy is. I think he'll be fine making layups though, which is what he's been getting. <laughs> um. So I think we both agree that we're seeing a Baylor uh, Gonzaga final champion. Uh, who you got in the championship game? That's it. That's yeah. It. Uh, yeah. I think it's gonna be Gonzaga. Um, there's no sense to me. I, I mean,
1: for the sake of like my own uh, my own ego, I, I want Baylor to win just so I don't have to, you know, deal with Gonzaga having a ring. You know, Gonzaga having a, just, a just, banner.
0: Just, just hating. Just hating. Before, <laughs> before, no, I don't want. Why don't you want to see me prosper? Like i can't get some prosper you know I'm, I'm a i'm a i'm a tortured sports fan i could i can't get this one thing but the college basketball expert would be i just
1: i, I can't I, I can't see i can't see this gonzaga team losing to this
0: uh to any of these teams so um so yeah i'm, I'm gonna go with gonzaga i'm gonna say gonzaga i mean I'm a gonzaga fan so i don't think that you know and in this kind of year i mean i'm not picking them against anybody mm-hmm. i will say i think that To me, this is all—I've said this since literally Kendall knows the first game of the season. I said, nobody can see this Gonzaga team except Baylor. I've said that since the beginning. And nothing I've seen has changed that. I think Baylor is a great team, and one could definitely beat Gonzaga. And in a year where Gonzaga didn't exist, would 100% be a prohibitive favorite to win a national championship. I think that they're a great team. Um, Their guards are spectacular. They're big shot makers. Their defense is incredible. And they hit you in ways in regards to some of the Gonzagas. sense that like you think that maybe you got Butler and Mitchell taken care of, and then Teague and, um, and and someone else will go off. You know, it's just they're they're a tough team, and then they got some size in the paint and athleticism. But I think I think the problem with with me in terms of Baylor is good. The Bear, the only team that maybe that probably has just as good guards as Gonzaga. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, Gonzaga's bigs. In their front court is still a leg up. You know, when it's time to get easy shots, they'll have a better chance. I think. I think it's gonna be a very close game. If those teams play. I think it's gonna be a very good game. I think when the game gets close, and it will be close, I think the ability to play through Timmy will help them. And it doesn't mean Timmy always scoring. It Could be him passing out a double team because he's very good at finding open guys. I think. I think that's gonna be the difference in that game. Is when those teams tighten up defensively, which they both will. Who will be able to get easy shots when it matters most? With Baylor, it's going to be a lot of one-on-ones. It's going to be a lot of guys just trying to just do it on their own. And maybe they can. They're great players. But I'm going to go with the team that has someone who they can play inside out from. So I think that that's like the slight edge Gonzaga has. But I, I do really believe it's a slight edge. I think if Baylor plays Gonzaga's schedule, I think Baylor goes undefeated. So that's how highly I think of Baylor. I think the Zags are a slight, slight, slight Slight edge better, but I think it's going to be a great game. And it's a toss up in terms of once you, we I mean, have teams that are that close, anybody can win. So I'm looking forward to um, that national championship. Game. Real quick, who do you got um, in uh, South Carolina, Stanford, women's? I don't know um, if You caught any of. Uh, I have not caught. Is that the final? Is that wait, That's, that, the, that's the final four?
1: Wait, you, you can't, can't it, play Arizona. You can't right, play Arizona. yeah,
0: yeah, okay. Sorry, I was like, you that's that's two teams. I thought that UConn kind of was in it. Um yeah. I've caught very little. First of all, Baylor got posed. Um <laughs> so yeah. but but I mean whatever. Uh though I will say, as bad as it was, I could see it like I could see watching that live a referee not calling that. Like I'm it was a bad call, but like I we're also the same people who say you gotta swallow the whistle. And I can see some. I can see a ref thinking that, like, oh, she just threw herself in there to try to get a foul. Now yeah. they did foul her, but like when I saw it live, I thought, oh, really? But then I watched it again. I was like, oh yeah, there's too much contact on the face and the arms are coming down. But I, I, the referee was getting clobbered. I was like, okay, it's a bad call, but I, I can see why they don't why they don't call that. Um, I think we're gonna see South Carolina versus UConn. that I mean, be. I mean,
1: the TV. <laughs> that's
0: East- what, I, mean, I, I know that's what ESPN wants. Didn't UConn play Stanford this year? Uh, I don't think so. They played South Carolina. They beat okay. South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. I think that we're was... gonna get. A, I think we're gonna get a rematch. Yeah. Uh, Stanford looks. Think... They look really good. I.
1: Um. I know Russell Wilson's been at all these games because his sister's on the team. But oh, that's cool. Um, they kind of get they they get overlooked because you know they're in the West Coast. Uh, but I feel like it's gonna be. Well, they've I had think, a great. They've
0: had a great program for a long time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Vanderveer, Tara Vanderveer. Um, you know she she's uh she's kind of looked at as the third. You know the the third most high profile now.
0: Yeah, because um, she was at wasn't she at Duke before? Or no, she had no? no no no. I think I'm mixing her up with uh, someone else. Um, but but yeah, I mean she she's uh, she doesn't have the the.
1: The Brand name that uh Dino and and Don Staley have at this point, but um, all of the best players, it, it the women's college basketball is so funny because it's like anybody that's any good in the west coast goes to Stanford, anybody that's any good in the south goes to either Baylor or South Carolina, and anybody that's, is any good in like <laughs> anywhere like in the mid Atlantic or yeah, goes to UConn, and you can recruit from anywhere, but right, you know, but like. If you are in the Northeast, like you're almost certainly going Utah.
0: What I will say is about the women's game. I think that what I've appreciated about this tournament is it does feel like there is much more of a leveling off in the talent. I feel like a little bit, a little I bit. Yeah. Like these one seeds aren't just running roughshod over everybody to get to the Final Four, which is what used was historically what used to happen. Yeah, there's oh. way more talent. I think. In the, in, in the women's game right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, Michigan gave, like, Baylor a great game. Like, yeah. um, we saw Baylor versus UConn. And sometimes even the one-two matches in the past were just, like, blowouts. You know? Yeah. Those teams just didn't have a chance. So, like, yeah. what I've seen, in, in, and it's not just this year. I feel like it's been the last couple of years where, you know, even though we have 1-1, one, 1-3, one, one, still, one, we got a three-seed in there. Again, that's <laughs> almost unheard of. That almost never happened. And, two <laughs> – like, the one season they had some close games to get here. Yeah. Like Atlanta had a close game. UConn had a close game. So, I'm a, I, I, so I, I like that. It's just set up for a good Final Four. And I think that, you know, people talk about what's the impediment of women's basketball in terms of uh, fan engagement. And there are uh, plenty of things that are centered on, you know, gender discrimi- discrimination. But I think a large part of it was also, I think, this uh, lack of parity.
1: Oh, yeah and zero. what i love is like this is like what we have now is more like college football like before like yes college, i agree with literally that. like uconn was rungs above everybody and then like stanford and Notre Dame and like tennessee, you know yeah. tennessee and you know south carolina more recently were like in that second tier that was rungs yeah. above everyone else right and, yes. and now this is more like you have four or five programs five or six really that are like you know, clearly, like better in the the, the yeah, only team the only teams that have any chance of winning, but they all can beat each other up. Right. So this final four is gonna be. I mean, look, Yukon's gonna beat Arizona. Baylor versus UConn was the final four matchup, and you know, UConn won. I would assume UConn's gonna beat Arizona. I mean, you, again, you never know. But I mean, South Carolina Stanford is. I mean, those are two tight. I mean, Yeah. That's like. Clemson been facing Ohio State in the college football playoff. Like any one of those teams can win the national championship. So, yeah. um, and then if one of those teams faces UConn, it's like now you're facing the you know the national player of the year freshman Paige Beckers. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it, it's great for it's great for TV, and it's, it's 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 honestly I think this women's final four might actually be more intriguing than this men's final four. So, um, I I'd heard be you say
0: that. I, I I feel like. I feel like, you know, assuming we do get Gonzaga and Baylor, I think the championship game will be just as good. Yeah. Uh, but I agree. I think that it's fair to say that maybe the women's Final Four is more intriguing. Just because I think that a lot of people, I think, see Gonzaga's, Gonzaga and Baylor as prohibitive favorites in their matchups. I don't yeah. know how fair it is for Houston, the, the Houston game, because, like, I don't know. Something about that Houston game still worries me on Baylor's standpoint. I think Baylor's going to win, but I feel like, I kind of, I do kind of like the fact that you have a team that's fought through, like, crazy adversity. Like, I think that... I think, to me, Baylor is the kind of team that, like... I mean, they're kind of similar to Gonzaga, where, like, I mean, they could punch you in the first 10 minutes, and, like, you gotta recover. Like, I think it took Arkansas a whole half to, like, even, like, know where they were. And then they, they made the game at that point. But you lost the game at that point. Like, you not coming out ready to play. Because Baylor is so... And it's crazy to say sometimes because he gets a lot of heat. But they're so well coached. And they come out usually, besides a few slip-ups they had in the regular season, very on point to begin the game. Perry I feel Joe, like he, Houston has shown me, things. I know they played against weaker teams, they've shown me they could take punches and still stand up and win. They have an incredibly tough guy. I mean, Jerome's been playing with what feels like a broken hip. Because, I mean, every time he's playing, he's grabbing his hip, he bears like he can get up to the court, and he's still playing great ball um they're a physical team they're a tough team they're undersized but they're not going to be afraid of the fight so if Barrel thinks they're going to just run them out the gym they they better play 40 minutes that's all i'm going to say i think they'll win but if 40 it will take 40 minutes of basketball to beat houston um let's quickly talk about uh the coaching carousel shakeup that we got today so um or yes yesterday if you're listening to this podcast Roy Williams, after a storied career at Kansas at North Carolina, has retired as a head coach with the Tar Heels. You also had Chris Beard, the coach of Texas Tech, going across the state to coach now the rival University of Texas. Uh, which of these two was more surprising to you? Um, because you, you were surprised by both. You texted me this morning. You were like. I wake Damn. up and college basketball coaches has just been shaken to his core. Yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. You know, there are
1: two mega headlines in the college basketball landscape. Um and they yeah, you know, and it, whenever you get to find it four time, that's when this stuff kinda happens. But um yeah, this is uh these are both huge stories. Roy Williams to be more surprising. Um the Chris Beard thing is also a surprise. Like it's not a surprise like once like you know, you hear people saying, oh, Beard's probably going to Texas. But it's a surprise, like, if you would have told me two weeks ago, you know, when Chris Beard was coaching against Arkansas in a in a nail-biter, they could have won that. Oh, yeah, he's going to be coached Texas in a couple weeks. Be, wow. Um, but, yeah, uh, Roy Williams, there was really no talk. You know, I know people, the college basketball people in the know are saying, oh, this has been in the works. You know, there've been some rumblings that he was going to retire. I mean, I hate when they say that stuff after the mat after the fact. It's like they, none of you guys said anything about this. There's none of this was was out there um, until he announced it. But um, I didn't really get that inkling. But if you follow like the portal, <laughs> um, you know the, the the and you follow college basketball and you follow the way that North Carolina team was this year and what they were going to have coming back and who they're losing. Uh, it was. it didn't look like it was getting any better. I think I told I think I texted you that when Walker Kessler, who' was a five star, uh, decided to transfer um, that things aren't looking good. when you look at who they got coming in and after you lose a five star freshman to transfer to a transfer, um, that that North Carolina roster looked very bare. like it looked like their window for competing for a national title, also given the recruits that they were ran in was closing fast. Um, or, well, it wasn't open. Like, it wasn't open this season, and it wasn't going to open next season either. So um, I could see him saying, you know, I mean, I have no chance of winning the national championship. Like, it's time for me to move on. Um, but it, there was just no inkling of this. So, I, I mean, I would say the, the the Roy Williams thing is a surprise, uh, a little bit more of a surprise for me.
0: Yeah, I think Roy was def- <clears throat> definitely a shocker. It seemed like things were coming, uh, you know, coming undone at the seams a little bit at Carolina. Carolina with Kessler transferring. You got, uh, you know, parents chirping on Twitter uh, with cryptic messages about the program. <laughs> it just seemed like things weren't always on the up and up, but I'm not sure if anyone thought that a Roy Williams' retirement was inevitable. Well, I mean, I think we knew it was coming, but I didn't think it was imminent, rather, is the word I was looking for. Uh And the word apparently is that he was he was not liking
1: the way the college basketball game was going with the transfer portal and, you know, whatever else, you know, was bugging him out. But the Walker Kessler transfer sent
0: him over the edge. Like he wasn't planning on retiring until Kessler transferred. Yeah, well, you got to remember, (laughs) Roy, in some ways, and this is kind of crazy and Duke and Carolina fans may want to fight me after I say this. But you could make the case that really Carolina has been the closest thing to Duke in college basketball recently. And I say that to say, you know, Duke was a program where, you know, the good kids went there. Uh, They were five, they, they were five stars. They were kids you expected to stay for multiple years, maybe even four years. And they were all about the team. And then by the fourth year, you know, they were able to put together a national championship kind of program. I think Grove Wins had a run where, like, if you stayed four years at Carolina. went to like the Final Four at one point. Um, it wasn't the one and done factory. It wasn't just I'm um, picking the number two guy and three guy on the rivals or two, four, seven sports board and just putting them on my roster. That's not how Carolina worked. Carolina was, you know, and again, I know Duke fans will think that's crazy, but that's how Duke used to be. You know, Duke, yeah, they, they were every now and again like a number one or two guy, but they were the program where it was a lot of different guys. They were college guys that stayed three, four years, and yeah. you got to know them, you got to love them. Like, that's not what, Carolina was not that at all for a long time. But in in what whatever we consider this era to be now, I guess you call it the one-and-done era, but now it's really, it's, I agree with Kendall, it's kind of becoming now the transfer portal era, along with one-and-done. Carolina was that. And because Roy survived the one-and-done era and won championships and kept kids three, four years, like, it was great. The portal, he couldn't survive. We see that now. The portal, he was losing guys to the portal. He wasn't losing guys to the NBA. He was able to convince guys, look, your game is not ready. Stay with me another year or two and you'll be right. And for the most part, he was right. And for the most part, those guys were rewarded with national championships. But the portal, it just adds a different element because, and this is what, now, let me be clear. I am 100% for kids being able to transfer and play immediately in almost every case. However, I'm just going to speak for what these people like Roy and people in this in this brand of college basketball in this mindset feel is that it doesn't it rewards kids just not sticking it through and working out their situations and instead allows them to kind of I hate to even use the words I disagree with so much but it allows them to kind of take the easy road out and just go somewhere else where they'll get what they want and they can play and with Roy's program, I think you you kind of had, like, the whole point of it was you kind of had to stick it out, like, in order to, in, in some way, and actually, honestly, in some way, you could say, i I say he's a modern-day, like, they're the modern-day Duke, but in some way, to kind of mend the Carolina connection, I mean, he very much is very similar to Dean Smith now. Right, yeah. So, like, to me, I think that that was the problem, where it was like, wait, you, you're, so like Kessler's not gonna just work this out, like, in four years, he's gonna be in the championship game, that's what we do. And now I'm at the position where I can't keep him because someone else is saying, Hey, you come here tomorrow. You're starting. We're, you're going to be our number one option. You'll average 20 and 10, and you'll be in the league next year. Because that's what he's being told. And you know, just the way Roy is old school, he's not telling him that. Roy is telling him, You're going to stick this out. We'll see what happens next year. Maybe you're ready for the league. But, you know, we have a good team next year. You'll be the centerpiece, but we'll keep working at this thing. Um, but if they, these kids, like, if they don't get what they want right now, which. The reason why I have no issue with it now to go back to the other side is these coaches tell them lies on the recruiting trail. Like yeah. they'll tell, like that's like the running joke is that they'll tell them anything to get them on campus. Once you get on campus, then the idea is that well you're stuck with me. Now they're not stuck with Roy Williams. Now they're like nope. well he told me all this stuff and then I'm sitting behind Harrison Brooks or whatever his name is. Yeah, Harrison Brooks. Harrison t- Brooks. So. I'm getting the hell out of here. It doesn't matter that Garrison Brooks is leaving. I'm upset that you did not stick to your word that I was going to be number one option 2010 guy freshman year. That's what yeah. I was recruited to be. Yeah, Every, I would have went somewhere else and been that guy. I went here because it's Carolina. So, Roy probably saw that. If that is true, that that's what's problem. Roy probably saw this thing and saw that this was going to be an issue just because how he runs his program. Freshmen and guys who come in early they don't just get everything handed to them immediately. So... Uh, it might just feel for him, him feeling like it's a, kind of a changing of the guard, and that he 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 can't survive it. He might be right. He might have been time it for to get out. Was with Cole Anthony. That was like his
1: last. That was the last hurrah. He needed that season to go well. When it didn't, and they didn't really. Re- I mean, they they got Caleb Love, but they didn't really replace Cole Anthony had like you know a high high level. Couldn't get Kate Cunningham or any of those guys. Like that was it. Like that. Yeah. That was <laughs> that was the end. Um. I mean, they're technically on the list for Chet Holmgren, but we know he's not going there. Like um at least they were they were on the list for Chad Holmgren. Um like they you know, it's North Carolina is just not looked at as a as a as a place where five star prospects or not say five stars, but one and duns go. Um and again, you don't necessarily need that to win, but again you're not he's no, not getting day I mean, yeah. long he's not getting guys to stay three, four years. Um and I feel like he's missed on a lot of guys. Like, missed on,
0: like, in terms of his evaluation of some of these players. like Yeah, you know, he, there are definitely been guys who have went there that you think. Like, Armando got, you know, good player. He was a five-star,
1: but, like, you know, I mean, that guy is going mean, to, he's going to stay there four years, and, and, you know, it is what it is. Um, there have been guys, even in the past, that, you know, have graduated, and have now, you know, you know doing whatever they're doing, playing overseas or whatever, a, a J.P. Tokudo or a, James Michael McAdoo. James Michael McAdoo was supposed to be all-world. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't work out. You know, and there's a lot of these guys. Theo Pinson was supposed to be all-world. And, I mean, I, th- I think he got them a title. Or he got them to the national championship Yeah, game. they won a
0: title. They won a title. Yeah,
1: they beat Gonzaga, yeah. Um, so he got them a title. But, like, you know, those guys were all supposed to be linchpins. Um, so, I don't know. You know, like, Marcus Page was, a, was, like, a great... That was a great guy. Like, that guy was a great yeah he took great. him the back to back national championship game yeah he took him to the back to back national championship game um and I think he's fine with that I think he he got one recently he been to, went to two national championships like I think he's fine with that.
0: I mean not little is another guy. He was on the Yeah that was a rough one. That was a rough one. Um because that guy is supposed to be he was supposed to be a, a program
1: changer. Um I think you know he really wanted Jalen Brown uh, he really liked Jalen Brown. I think Nasir Little's he thought would be all, similar to that,
0: uh, and he you know <laughs> obviously probably had a similar college career. Uh, yeah, Tony, Tony Bradley, Seventh Woods. I mean the list goes on and on. Yeah. Poor evaluations. Yeah, he didn't guys, have kind of misses it during the Hansborough era. No,
1: he just didn't. All those guys hit Lawson, Ellington, Hansborough. Like none of those guys were were like one and done prospects.
0: John Henson. John Henson hit yeah. Tyler Zeller hit yeah like I didn't Harrison, ba- Harrison Barnes hit Reggie Bullock hit Kendall Marshall hit absolutely yeah he, yeah I I think I think you're making a great point there and it's crazy because again he won that championship after those that era but you're right like I feel like there was a point in time that kind of seemed to end around the Marcus Page class where the guys he were getting, a lot of guys did not live up to expectations. They just didn't. Next class. Yeah. Kennedy Meeks, Isaiah Hicks. They did win a half championship. They stayed four years, but they they just weren't what they were supposed to be. You know? Yeah. Um, where do you talk, think they go down? We're going to have Roy Williams on a great career. In terms of where they go now, uh, it was interesting. Uh, the AD was like, you know, oh, we want to keep it in the family and Roy definitely is going to have a say, um, but we're looking at all options. I thought it was a little interesting.
1: Yeah, because um, people... When this broke, people were 100%. It's going to be a Carolina guy. You know, Wes Miller is at UNC Greensboro. Mm-hmm. You know, he, they were in the tournament, I guess, this year. I didn't even... Yes, I don't even yes, know who they, they, they played. Who they, who they play?
0: I forgot who they played, but they got washed. Yeah, I mean, like... They were like a, I think like, they were like a 12 or 13 seed.
1: Yeah, people were jumping to Wes Miller. has got to be the guy. And I'm like, he hasn't really... Like really, North Carolina. So hey, look, I mean, West. I guess because he you know he played there,
0: he's on the the team with Ray Felton and those guys. Um, well, to me, that's almost kind of like the like the Mario Cristobal to Miami thing. The first time, like before he went to Oregon, right? Because you know it was like, oh, he went there, he knows the thing. But I'm like, yeah, but like he he's coaching at FIU. Like, yeah, he's not he's not what? like killing it, he's not shredding right. it at right. <laughs> FIU. Like it's more you projection know, more projection and family ties than like yeah. actual production. Um that that's a very good analogy.
1: Uh you have Hubert Davis who's been an assistant with Roy Williams obviously with uh, a huge name as a guy on college game day, you know, kind of took a little bit of a career risk, major career risk by <laughs> becoming an assistant. Definitely. Um you know, uh for a guy who's in his prime, Roy Williams, uh and has been there now for, you know, I guess over a decade. Uh, Or about a decade. So you have Hubert Davis on the staff. And then you have Jerry Stackhouse. Those are the three who's coaching at Vanderbilt now. Hasn't really won anything. Uh, Very impressed with his offensive sets. Has experienced as an NBA assistant. Um, Also has had some some bizarre behavior and some antics. uh, (laughs) With some stuff with some Vanderbilt fans and boosters that I don't think is... uh, Rub people the wrong way, but you know it's, it's vintage Jerry Stackhouse. But yeah, that's regard- who he is. Yeah. <laughs> but regardless, those are the three guys, and then you know, and then but then there's also plenty of guys that aren't you know Carolina uh, guys necessarily. So to me, I would I would give Huber Davis the shot. Going over the recent history of of Carolina basketball, you know, I've thought about it. I'm like, eh, I mean, look, he's been around some of those
0: misevaluations. Um, so yeah. that's not sign. And he's but, been around that coaching staff that's been supposed to develop those guys. Yeah, you know, you know, around the time he came in is
1: when some of the stuff uh, when they started struggling a little bit in that in that regard. But to me, when, I, when I, like I texted you earlier today, I was the first person when Oklahoma when Bob Stoops retired to Oklahoma and they moved to Lincoln Riley. I was like, really, you're gonna just promote within an office coordinator who's never been a head coach? When Oklahoma right now is one of the five best jobs in college football, not only one of the five best jobs, one of the five best teams in college football. And Lincoln Riley hit the ground running. Same thing, Urban Meyer retires or whatever happened with Urban Meyer, (laughs) Uh, Ryan Ryan Day the interim, uh, and they say no, he's going to be the guy. Like this is going to be his team. I was like, really? Ohio State is the five best teams in college football. And it's one of the three best jobs in college football, and you're going to go with an office coordinator who's never been a head coach. And both times,
0: now Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day are two of the top five coaches in college football. Yeah, now every time an NFL job opens up, those guys are going to be mentioned. Yeah, every time. Like, so it shows you that you can promote within to guys who have never been head coaches, but
1: know the culture, know the team, know the roster. And again, some of these jobs, Oklahoma, Ohio State football, North Carolina basketball recruits themselves. It doesn't yeah, matter who. Exactly. You're going to be able to get guys as long as you have a pulse. So Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hubert Davis has a pulse. And if he puts together a good staff, they're going to get five
0: stars to go there easily. Considering he's a. I, I, I don't. Even when Carolina's been bad, I don't think they've ever had an issue getting players. Not at all. Like Matt Doherty's staff. Matt Doherty's recruits were the guys that Roy Williams won the first title with. Exactly. <laughs> and Matt Doherty was putting up like 10 win seasons. <laughs> so that, that's like a little bit of a perspective like carolina never doesn't get town let's be clear about that exactly so yeah i think I, to me i think you give Hubert davis a shot and if
1: it doesn't work again it's carolina like you can move on in three years if they yeah. haven't made the tournament and find the next hot shot guy who's not in the north carolina family but
0: i say give you give huber davis a shot I think what we learn from and I know it's a different sport, some people some people listening will probably say, Oh it's a different sport, you can't get compare but I think the one thing we learn from those sports and I think to me this this like thought process in terms of hiring you know, promoting from within and just giving the person the job hedges from this idea that sometimes you got these legendary coaches or these you know, especially older coaches, you know, at a certain point, you know, they're really allowing the assistants to kinda of run point on a lot of things. Like they're yeah. just they're more of a CEO. They're not like day in, day out. Like they're grinding. It's a it's a tough job, you know. As Urban Meyer will tell you every time he has to take a health sabbatical. Like they're <laughs> grinding, but it's it's not the same that when they were uh, they first got the job or when they were coaching ten years ago and they were new. Um. So I think there's this thought process that okay, that guy maybe maybe gone and maybe that like big Papa Bear leadership kind of like you know you know overarching figure made like losing that. It, it, it's not gonna be great but like the in the the day-to-day operations of what needs to be done to be great at carolina or ohio state football or oklahoma football like nothing's gonna change because those guys at the end of the day were just hiring people to do things right like urban meyer and Urban Meyer wasn't didn't coach like he doesn't have a philosophy to play air raid the way ryan day plays football um yeah you know uh that's not bob stoops is a defensive coach who won game? who's winning games on offense, and his offense wasn't any... He didn't come up on offensive schemes like Lincoln Riley. No. So, like, so much of, like, college sports is just, like, yo, hiring the right assistants who know what to do. <laughs> Bob's so, can get quarterbacks like Lincoln Riley. Could. Right, yeah. So, like, so to me, it's, like, so it's not that big. As long as those guys aren't, like... As long as those guys show the right leadership skills, as long as those guys aren't, like, just, like... Just, like, as long as these guys have a pulse, like you said, like, they'll be fine. Like... As long as they can handle the job, they know what it takes, and they'll be able to do the CEO stuff and understand that they represent the school now in a different way. If they're able to do that, then why not just give them the job? And I, look, I, so I agree. I, I, agree. Don't, I think... I think, going
1: to win I think national championships. Yeah. Ryan Day hasn't won one yet. Uh, Lincoln Riley hasn't won one yet. But again, that doesn't mean that they're not a top five coach in the country. Right. Like, of course, they're great coaches. Yeah. I don't know if Hubert Davis is going to win a championship next year, but, you know, I mean, again, North Carolina isn't as set as those jobs were, but... I you know I think they'd be a, they were
0: gonna make the tournament likely if you able to get players like they would they're probably gonna make the tournament. And if you want to find a basketball example, maybe it's not college, but think about Nick Nurse with the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Um. Another thing where people are like, "What are you doing? How do you hire within? Why don't you go?" And it's like, "Yo, this guy has been the reason why they've been this good. Maybe they need to yeah. give him more of a shot." And hence, that's what they did, and they won a championship. Like, and I don't want to take away from uh to uh. Dwayne Casey, uh, from Dwayne Casey, who was a great coach, but him putting nurse on that staff was the beginnings of them starting to turn everything around in Toronto and turn into the power that they became. So I don't, I, I agree. I don't think that Hoover Davis would be a bad choice. Um, I, I can understand the allure of Stack, but, you know, it's funny. Stack's personality didn't bother me as much for like NBA teams and didn't even bother me as much for Vanderbilt because it's Vanderbilt. I, I do wonder if he's ready for like Carolina. I really do. Yeah. Like that Like, that's a different level of maturity, and he's a character. Like, it, it, he's such a great basketball mind, a great coach, that, like, I think a lot of people forgot that he's Jerry Stackhouse. <laughs> like, if you yeah. remember who Jerry Stackhouse was as a player, he's still that guy. Yeah, he's matured a little bit more, but, like, that's still who he is. So, some of the stuff he's dealt with is like, okay, he's Jerry Stackhouse. That's who he is. Like, you're, you gotta, like, understand that and feel like he won't get you in any serious trouble and, like, He'll be such a great coach that it won't matter. Um, that would I, I would I could get the allure because I think he's a great coach and I feel coach like if you gave, gave him Carolina talent and develop, I mean I, you think that he would knock it out the park. I mean, but then Aaron E Smith, the stuff that he did with Aaron E Smith, I'm a Celtic fan, obviously.
1: I feel hoodwinked <laughs> watching what Aaron E Smith was doing at Vandy, running some of those elevator elevator cuts and. You know, or
0: elevator screens and, and ha- hammer actions and yeah. yeah,
1: hammer action and floppies. Thinking that this guy was going to be Chris Middleton. <laughs> <laughs> now <laughs> he's to play. he turned Scotty Pippen Junior., who's like a two star coming out of Sierra Canyon, who's now like the best guard in the SEC. So I mean, Jerry Sackles can It's not leading to wins because he just doesn't have the roster right now. But right. you know, he can he knows how to get certain guys to look really good. Um, and I mean. You know, I, to me, like from a again, like you said, from a pure coaching standpoint, I mean, he's an NBA level coach. It's very clear, um, and seeing what Jawan Howard's been able to do, uh, certainly attractive. But you know, again, I mean, he was he's, get, he's getting into it with Vanderbilt boosters, you know, DMing Vanderbilt fans, you know, <laughs> like stuff where you know, I mean, again, you you got you're gonna get both sides of Jerry off. so. I don't
0: yeah, know. That, that's again. That's
1: that's that's who he is. Is there a, is him. there any game that makes sense that's not a North Carolina? Guy? Like, who's the one guy you call if you're a search um, firm, firm firm consulting with North Carolina? Who's the guy that you're saying you a take a shot? Uh,
0: or or do you say, look, it's got to go to one of these guys? I'm intrigued at how I know we kind of. In, in the DMs for us, I think we've kind of been maybe lamenting what these next few years will look like. But I'm intrigued at how would got Illinois to look that good that fast. He'd be someone I'd think about. Interesting. He showed me he could put a crazy staff together and get a roster that could win it. That could go to the Final Four. They underachieved crazy, but to get over to the Final Four in two, three years. That seemed impossible when he took the job in, in Illinois. Like, remember what they looked like? Yeah. Like, to me... Yeah. I'm like, yo, know, if he was at Carolina, I mean, yeah, I think it would be ball game <laughs> over. You know what I'm saying? Like, in theory. Now, maybe there are real questions about is he a great coach? Is he, like, maybe those are questions that are fair. I don't know. But to me, roster building and staff building, I was super impressed with these last three years from him. And I might be saying, hey, do that here. And if you do it, like, the guy and guys he can get here. We're winning a national championship. That would be my thought process if I was really looking for outside here. That would be my my hope, my upside with him. There really are no. no the thing no about Carolina thing. is that like it's like in some ways it's kind of like, in some ways it's kind like, of like Alabama in that like region region doesn't really matter, like they recruit yep. nationally, so like it, it it leads them to like all options. They can they could literally pl- pick anybody. Like, it doesn't, like, you don't have to be, oh, I need someone who knows the Carolina area. <laughs> I need, so, like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You just need somebody who can recruit and can develop stat develop players. It's, like, I mean, it is, to me, like, one of the, like, man, you can't win there. Wow. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's like that in Kentucky. It's like, I don't Get- know what to tell you. If you can't win there, then you can't, you can't. The job any longer. They gotta move on from you. Because that's <laughs> you're gonna have every 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 resource to succeed. And like it's and they're both and they're similar because like they're both so storied that now you're not even like it like there isn't a thing of like, oh I'm following this great coach like Bob Knight. It's like there's a million great coaches at Kentucky. You know, there's Roy Williams and there's Dean Smith at North Carolina. So it's just it's the school, it's just the institution. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's like it's like a, a weird thing. Um, real quickly, I know we're running a little long, but uh, Chris Beard, uh, I'm really fascinated to see how that works for Texas. I it's going to work. I feel bad for Texas Tech, but it's going to work. I feel terrible for Texas Tech.
1: I really do. And their fans like, are kind of like, cause they're just I, I, so like, stunned right now. Because they're like, what do we do? I don't know. I don't well, know why they're stunned. We? we took, like, they're stunned in the sense that it's like, so we can't, like, anytime we, like, even if we're dominant, right. We, we're going to just lose our coach to Texas. Yeah. Like, we could bizarre. have the best. <laughs> oh, and we're just going to, Texas is just going to pay our coach, you know, a bajillion dollars and he's gone. Yeah. And it, it feels like how Memphis fans felt when Cal Perry went to Kentucky. Like, there's nothing we can do. Like, we're better than Kentucky, but it's Kentucky. So Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I,
0: mean I, I hate to say that. I mean, I feel bad for Texas Tech fans, but the answer is yes, that's what's going to happen every time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, te- it's Texas
0: to, Tech. Like,
1: I think the little bit that I've seen, like I think they've come to the conclusion that I think Memphis fans came to, which is that the only way is if you hire somebody who went to the school. Like that's the only way you gotta hope that yeah. it goes. So yeah. Penny Hardaway is like, there's the reason. Well, the the excitement around Memphis getting Penny Hardaway is not only that it was Penny Hardaway, but that is he went there. So if this goes well, he's not
0: gonna leave. Is the that only- and you also and you also need like either that or a guy who's who's like. Who takes a retirement job but is taking it seriously like Bob Knight did? Right. Like they were good under Bob Knight because Bob Knight, like I mean, Bob Knight, is a totally he, like he's he's a different like species of person. But like what like <laughs> like other people were taking that as a retirement job, like he was coaching his ass off in that right. job, and that's why they had the results they did. He he turned the program around. Like there's no question about that. Like even Beard's success today is in some degree a credit to Bob Knight. Because Texas Tech basketball before Bob Knight was, like, less than a joke. I don't even know how to describe it. Like, <laughs> just was not relevant under any circumstances. So, to me, like, that's the other thing, too. You got to hope that maybe a coach, like, a Steve Fisher type also goes to your school. Right. And, like, he's not going to be, like, like, he's not trying to go anywhere else. think like, he's happy here. He's just going to do the best job he can do here. Right. But if you're going to get, if you're getting any kind of, like, ambitious dude, like, yeah. if. Like like, Rick and is a, don't, and, uh, yeah, you not like Texas is open, or like it's just like A and M learned the same deal when they lost. So Clyde who's, who's this? Who's the really old coach? And they lost Turgeon, too. Like A and M has been knowing this for a long time. I don't know why Texas Tech is tripping today. Like the I, the old coaches that are still out there.
1: John, first D-Line? of all, we got to get Kevin Alley a job. No one's even talking about coming out. We got to get him a job somewhere. But um. And I think somewhere, whenever one of those West Coast teams open up, I think Kevin Ollie might get a shot. But um, they, they should call John you know, Beeline
0: tomorrow. Beeline is a good name. What's Jim Calhoun? He's like that guy. He's like their Bob Knight to me. And Jim, Ca- I, I like Jim Calhoun, too. Yeah. If Both Jim Calhoun has the itch, you know, I mean, he would win.
1: <laughs> you know? Yes, like, he would. I mean, you know, it is what it is. Like, I mean, again, super old. Like, you got to deal. And, I mean, the other name that's thrown out there with Indiana, I mean, was Larry Brown doing. He's right. super old. But, again, like, sometimes you got to play fire with fire. You got to right. fight fire with fire. Like, is the Big 12 going to tell you, no, you can't hire Larry Brown? All right, well, Texas just took our coach. So, right. I, I, I don't care. So, right. yeah. No, so, that that's our recommendation. I mean, you can try and find another Chris Beard, but that guy's gonna go. But you, text- but you
0: really you like what I'm you like where I'm thinking though on that. Yeah, this is yeah, it's a smart, it's a smart. Cause like, to team. me, like because I like like to me, like there are certain schools that are just always gonna be second tier. Like yes, yeah. like I don't have the alumni base to say oh we will just hire some some NBA guy. Yeah, alumni base or the support from a, a sneaker company to really back you, like. Yeah, like you would think that like 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 Scott Drew has a lot of support, so you would think that in theory like he should be like on the list for any like blue blood job, but I think like they're taking care of him at Baylor, so yeah, yeah. so there's no need for him to really to leave. You have people like that, it like you realize how special guy like Mark Few is in terms of just like that's just like unheard blue. of and, and yeah. like, just you'll never see that again. Like a guy who like took like a, a b- beyond second tier. I mean. mid-major program and every time it's like no I'm gonna stay here (laughs) doesn't matter they're not supporting me that much but we're gonna still win anyway oh now they're supporting me well now I'm definitely not leaving like it's just rare and if you're rooting for the one of those schools like you know and to be fair like I'm, I'm a St. John's fan so there hasn't been a lot of success in the last 20 years but uh I'm not expecting if like Mike Anderson does great that like some other big name SEC school won't bring him back and he won't leave like that's gonna happen right, right. It, it's tough when you're like you're with this team and you're in it and you you're fighting and you and like again i love what mike Anderson is doing but you know what your school can pay you know how the support they're getting from the from the president and the ad you know the support they're getting from the school from the from the sneaker company and you do one plus one equals two you gotta know okay they've if we don't win a championship to- with this guy like next year like it's, it's a wrap it was so crazy because they tried that with Tubby, and Tubby still left. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. You know, and like, Tubby and Tubby didn't do a bad job. He did a good job there. He did a great job, and he. I, I just think he got. He added. took a reti- He took a retirement. Retirement job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, right. he took a double retirement job. Yeah, he's like, he's like, yo, I'm I'm working too hard here, man. I need like, to go
1: somewhere else. Ridiculous. They were like, we got all this money. Passner didn't. <laughs> Pastner took another job, so we've got all this extra money. We'll just throw it at Tubby Smith. I mean, it was the dumbest thing. And so he he couldn't say no, it was like it's a better job. And like they're paying me more. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um but yeah. It is a sad day for for Texas Tech, but beer's beer gonna I do win. Yeah, I do fear Texas for them. Tech beer,
0: uh, but like very soon. Yeah, I do feel for them. Um, but it just unfortunately it kinda is what it is. Uh Kevin Durant Ken, though says he is sorry for uh that people saw the language he used um in his uh DM exchange with actor and comedian Michael Rappapour. Um Michael Rapaport on Tuesday posted a bunch of screenshots of messages that him and Durant were going back and forth with. Durant was using um, what I'm happy that our uh, outlets and people are referring to as homophobic and misogynistic uh, insults, because that's what they were. And... Um, you know, at one point, you know, wanted to fight Rappaport, tell him to meet him outside a steakhouse, uh, tell him that he's gonna spit in his face and do stuff to him in front of his wife. Um, Of course, you know, these comments were, would seem to be responses to posts from Rappaport where he was critical of KD, with the usual KD slander, you know, he's a snake, he's sensitive, stuff like that. And KD, you know, to me, took this very far, and he said that Um, He was, quote, uh, sorry that people saw that language that he used. That's not really uh, uh, what I want people to see and hear from me. But hopefully I can move past it and get back on the floor. And KD is hoping to get on the court soon. He said he's feeling good and that uh, his return is imminent. But I feel like, Kendall, I'll be honest, and I think that this is kind of going to be too prone with our conversation with Justin Fields in terms of like more of a media commentary than even like a like uh, athlete commentary. Yes. Yeah. Um, here's what I'll say. I, I feel like the... the Maybe because these people are responsible, but I feel like the, the mainstream media folk, and you guys know, I, I don't normally go on this rant on this podcast, but I go on this rant later every time I talk to Kendall. I think that uh, the state of basketball, this dialogue or discourse on mainstream sports commentary is terrible. But I feel like what I've seen in the last few days has been pretty good in terms of like calling this what this is and why this was wrong. What I'm not liking is I feel like what I'm seeing from a lot of the kind of non-mainstream folk, the social media folk, the um, just the folk that you know, you know, maybe aren't on a big network but just you know are hot on Twitter, who are kind of making light of this thing, and that's disturbing to me because one. I'm sorry, people were saying that this is like, oh, Kevin Durant, just like any of us. Uh I got a lot of questions about you guys. <laughs> That's how you guys are. I don't know. I don't know anybody who just be saying wild stuff to people when they don't do they disagree with them or they they challenge them or anything like that. I mean what KD was saying, it wasn't like you're <laughs> I mean it wasn't like you're like, oh, F you, you loser. It was like deeply Graphic language, and it's it seen the times now. He, he, and you know, on one of his tweets, he seemed to claim that maybe he deleted, micro delete deleted some messages that he sent. But in some of these screenshots, I mean, they're like just like six, seven, eight messages where with no response, almost, right? yeah, with no response. It's almost like when you see these, unfortunately, these these terrible stories of like you know men just like harassing women, like them not getting a response. Like at times, that's what it looked like with Kevin Durant, and. And what I'm seeing on social media is like, oh, Kevin Durant's funny. He's an internet champ. You know, he's blah 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 blah. And I'm like, yo, Kendall. I talked about it before. We're at we we at we're at we a, a, a breaking point to me where we have, um, we have trolls who are not like these folk. They're trolls, and they're, honestly, you can maybe say Report is like in this picture. They're yes, these yeah, these trolls who like think who just slam any great thing anybody does. They're a mix of. You know, people who don't know anything about basketball, a mixture of people who actually do know basketball and like internet nerds or like like stat nerds or analytic people, um, and then just like people who just like whatever. And then you have stand culture, where it's these people who side with people no matter what. Um, they're fans of a certain athletes, so therefore they do blah blah they just they just do whatever. And then you even have folk who I think and I think this this still kind of is saying culture. A lot of these figures who it eventually like they they just respect like greatness and they respect great athletes and they they don't take like the criticism these guys take seriously and they defend them no matter what and therefore see this and they're like oh no this is great and that's to me what I see here. I think this this is to me a microcosm of fan culture because I think that I know KD said that he didn't think that this would get out but. I just don't, like, to me, I don't believe that. I think he knows that that's going to get out. Like, you can't be one of the most famous people in the world and say that to another famous person and think there's no chance that's getting out. I think that he probably didn't Real. I mean, he got, I mean, again, he got a lot of people that were supporting him. Like, a lot of, like, social media accounts, a lot of accounts were actually kind of, like, really clowning Rap Report more than him. And Rap report I mean, you're a loser to, like, do that and then publicize. I, I like what he did was corny. I'm not, but I, if I can go on a long run rant, rant about how I feel about Mike Rappaport, and I'm not gonna waste my time on that. But these folks who are like pom-pom cheering Kevin Durant, who's let me be one, let me be 100 clear, is one of the greatest offensive players who ever played this game. I think the most talented player in the NBA today, definitely the most talented. Also, John Cal Perry, one of the best recruiters in basketball history. Right, we've seen uh, now an amazing recruiter, um, like just a totally elite athlete. And the fact that we're now cheering this kind of behavior from our athletes, like yo, I was I come from a I come from a culture, I come from a, a time period where like like you carried yourself for a certain level of excellence when you were as good as Kevin Durant. And that's been my biggest issue with these folks who keep defending his Idiotic social media uh, uh, behavior because that's what it is. I think Kevin Durant's a smart dude. You see what he's doing with thirty-five ventures. Um, You see what he's done with TV entertainment, stocks and not stocks, uh, 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 Silicon Valley. Like this guy knows. He's not venture capital. He's a smart dude. He knows what he's doing. But this social media thing has gotten out of hand, and the fact that we have these trolls and these. And these uh, these trolls that keep baiting him and he can't he doesn't know when to stop. You have these stand culture people, whether it be his people in house at 35 Ventures, Rick Kleiman and that crew not saying, yo, dog, this is ridiculous. You got to stop this. You don't have his teammates, not a Kyrie, not a James Harden say, yo, chill. That's not how you want to do this. That's not this is not going to end well for you. You have no one that can tell him to do that. And now and I'll, I'll say this, he's his own man. He should be able to he should know better. But still, <laughs> nobody in that circle can say, yo, that's not it. Because everything's all bro bro love. Everything's all stand culture. You the best, you the best. It's not I don't think that to me, if you're a real if you really were his friend or you really were looking out for him, I have no idea how you let this get this far, this long. Jay Williams, like, you can throw him in there. Jay Williams, I'm throwing them all in there. And I have respect for all the people I just named, but I'm naming them because I have that respect for them. I'm saying you let this get out of this hand this much, Kendall. At what what percentage were you surprised that you saw that Kevin Durant exchange with with uh, Michael Rayford? Like if you had when you saw that from zero percent to one hundred percent, how surprised were you? Uh, maybe ten. <laughs> right, <laughs> I would say like five. I was like, yeah. I was probably surprised at like how graphic it got. I would say, oh wow, okay. But the fact that he would be Profane and aggressive to some random person on the internet? I'm zero percent surprised at that. No, yeah, we. The only, the only bit, the only bit surprised was just how nasty. Yeah, (laughs) I've seen out fans in comments, public comments, and people look at this and say, "Oh, he's just giving back to the fans what they give to him." And it's like, he's Kevin Durant. (laughs) He's supposed to be above this. Like, again, we expect greatness and excellence from these dudes a different you're supposed to carry yourself from a different class you're literally like it's like when michelle obama said you go low we go high he's doing the opposite he's literally like i'm gonna go lower than the lowest which i mean michael Bradport to me is like the lowest i'm like really kevin like could you imagine michael jordan in the prime of his career trying to win a championship and let's say it's not even like a twitter thing because there's no twitter let's say he's he's beeping like I don't know, Millie Vanilli or just like some clown who said that Michael Jordan was whack. Like, could you like and he was like saying this kind of stuff like, you know, Michael likes to talk trash. But Michael, even his trash talk was like with class, like (laughs) there's no nuance. There's no class. There's nothing cool about anything Kevin Durant does on the Internet. But the only reason why he got into this position now you know the league may be looking into it. That's what Stephen A. Smith says. The league is going to look into this, and he may get fined. The only reason why this is happening is because so many people were, you know, laughing with him. He's like, it's like when you see the kid acting up in class, and you realize like what he's doing is stupid, and he should probably stop. But instead of like, because he's like the cool kid, you just laugh with him and you say, "Ha oh, yeah, that's funny." That's what the whole country has been doing with Kevin Durant for five years, and. And, like, it's just... I'm just so tired of this stan culture, and I can't stand it. Because you can't criticize these guys anymore. And you can't even tell them when things are for their best interest. Because it's called hating. And it's like, you're a hater. You just, not, you just don't know what it's like. You're nothing like Kevin Durant. You're just jealous of him. And it's like, no, dog. Like, this is for him. Like, <laughs> like, and he can say all he doesn't care all he wants a million times. But it ain't gonna change the fact that people feel the way he feels about him. So... Him doing this is just completely ridiculous. But I, again, I I don't even put it one hundred percent on him because there's been there's a section of fans who grill him and do te- probably send terrible things to him every day. I understand that, and I'm not saying that that's right, and I never condone that. But then there's also this segment of people in his personal life and in his public life who are cheering him or riding him, or or not even people in his life, but just fans and and other folk who are basketball voices who are like yeah Kevin Durant's great he's funny ha 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 who's laughing now I mean this is ridiculous so I I I just thought this whole thing was pathetic um and and then Kevin Durant for the first time now he really has to kind of think about what he says because again you you now you're we see now you really got loose with what how you were talking and you were saying some extremely homophobic and misogynistic Stuff and these folks that keep saying, "Oh, he, what he did wasn't that bad." I'm like, "Yeah, y'all are telling yourselves too." <laughs> Everybody, I keep seeing and these people with you know blue checks next to their name saying that they that what he said, nothing was wrong. I'm like, "Really? Okay." Let's hope that none of your DMs get your uh, outlet. Let's hope that none that we don't see your conversations because it ain't gonna end well for where you at right now, too. That's my that's my that's my rant on this Durant thing. Do you have any thoughts on it? Uh. No, yeah, I think you said uh, I think you said most. Um, you know, D-
1: Durant. Uh this wasn't surprising, like you said. Um Michael Rappaport baited him. Uh, he took the bait. Honestly, I don't blame Rappaport for posting it. Durant took it a certain Durant took it to a level where I don't blame Rappaport and Owens for posting it. If Durant would have just said the more tame stuff, They'd have been like, yeah, what do you I mean, what do you what are you whining about, Rapaport? But the right said of stuff was like he should be exposed for saying some of those things. You know, like if you're if you're that stupid or that like I don't know. If you're that if you're that willing to just put it all out there, it's not even stupid. Just you are just, just that brazen to feel like I don't care, then you shouldn't care if I post it. So I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like, you know, like, you you, you know this, you know there's a possibility. You, Durant
0: can say, I didn't know he was going to post it. Like, you knew there was a chance. Yeah, that's a, what, and I said that, too. I mean, it's just know. that notion is ridiculous. I think he knew this was going to happen. He knew yeah. there was going to be some public thing with Rappaport. I right. Guess. I don't know if he knew it was going to be screenshots, but he knew there was going to be something. I think he welcomed it. Yeah. Um. So, look, it is what it
1: is. Like, Rappaport is playing his game. Durant took the bait. Uh, and then he took it to a level that was um way further than think even Rapport probably expected and we are where we are you know i i do agree that i'm a little more troubled with i mean the durant stuff has been troubling (laughs) for like you know
0: and and look again shout out to steven a smith he said the same thing i said and maybe maybe people are starting to catch on a little bit but i'm gonna ask the same question i've been asking for five years is kevin durant okay and people keep saying, oh, y'all making that, this ain't that big a deal, but That is not normal behavior for someone the star level of Kevin Durant. It just isn't. I don't want to hear people saying, oh, he's acting how anybody else would act. He's just being free. No. We There aren't people making burner accounts, attacking fans. Then when they get caught, oh, now I'm going to use my real account to just attack fans who attack me. I'm looking up my name on Twitter to see what people are saying about me. Uh, I'm I'm now I'm in the DMs of Rand again Michael Rappaport like again think about that but that I mean that's like Light Bird having a beef with like Alf like it's like the <laughs> it's the most ridiculous like it's it's like it's and and to me I think that's why Durant like when he apologized he said he 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 didn't he felt bad this got out I think it's because he realized how ridiculous this looks he's a basketball historian he knows the game in and out he may not care about fighting with fans and stuff, but I don't think he wants to be in headlines with Michael Rapperport. He's Kevin Durant. He's a man that has again big business ventures. Um, he's in boardroom meeting. I mean, this is not just some hooper. Like, and you're in headlines with Michael Rapperport, a clown. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> it's like annoying to me because like, like this is my this is my this is my era of basketball. So I like. I take hold of all these guys, even if I'm critical of some of them. Like, they're all my era. Like, I feel like I'm many. many, Like, I think we're all not just me. I'm not. I'm not saying like, oh, it's all on me. I think we're all like gatekeepers of this era. So it's important for us like keep everything in context. And that's why I fight so much about the current narratives because it's important to keep everything accurate. So to me, like that, this is like a part of a footnote to Kevin Durant's basketball story. Is just absurd. Like, it's the most absurd thing. And what's annoying is that we've had these Stan culture people who have just been rah-rahing him for five years during this. It did not have to get like this. People should have realized this was clownish behavior when he was using a burner account to slander Russell Westbrook. Like, could you imagine how, how like, like think about that, that, that didn't stop anybody. Like people still were rah Ryan cheer cheering, Karen Durant saying, Oh, well he was right. Like he just got caught. It wasn't that big a deal. Russell Westbrook, triple, Mr. Triple Threat Hall of Fame player, is being slandered by his former teammate on Twitter with a burner account. And you guys are still standing this guy? Really? At least standing his internet behavior. Not, I mean, his hooping is his hooping. But really? Stan culture's got to go, man. Stan culture has got to go. Um, Ken, I think you probably have similar vitriol for the yeah. commentary that we saw with Justin Fields coming from Dan Orlovsky who in his in his by in 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 Dan Orlovsky is ESPN analyst former NFL quarterback in his interview with Pat McAfee and Pat McAfee's show when he was asked about what to deal with fields why is he slipping said that he was hearing that there were question marks about Justin Field's work ethic. I'm gonna let you guys guess. Just go off on what you feel about those comments, man. This goes way beyond Dan Orlovsky, but yes, the Dan Orlovsky thing
1: um, was the latest in the uh, uh, in the media narrative that's been set around Justin Fields. Justin Fields obviously had his pro day, quarterback at Ohio State, projected to go, I guess, in the first round. As much I'm gonna say at this point, because you know the media has decided that they're gonna you know put his stock anywhere but regardless uh projected most recent mock draft Todd Miche had him hasn't him going 11 to New England trading up to get him um but obviously we all know Justin Fields again quarterback at Ohio State um had his pro day pro day was fine uh just like Zach Wilson's pro day was fine just like Trey Lance's pro day was fine just like uh, Trevor Lawrence's pro day was fine.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, oh, I would not say Mac Jones's pro day was fine. Cause I saw yeah, I, lot, yeah, I saw a it, lot of missed it, it, throws. Fine. It I was saw Bill Belichick shaking his head as <laughs> <Kyle laughs> he was Chan, overthrowing guys, man. Uh, he's a ghost. Yeah, so I was like, uh I might have made a mistake here. <laughs> like, can we catch a, 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 a private jet to, to, Columbus? <laughs> to, to the
1: Columbus? Yeah, because this ain't it. <laughs> yeah, man. So after that pro day, Dwayne Orlowski's on uh, McAfee, and again, he says that he's hearing from teams that, or from people around the league, that Fields has some work ethic concerns. He he used the term, last one in, first one out, which, I mean, man, I've heard that on every, on certain quarterbacks, That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Heard that about Vince Young, heard that about Cam Newton, heard that about Mike Vick, Um. It is it, it, consistent pattern, but regardless, um, and that that that's why he is quote unquote dropping. Um, I've the consistent pattern when it comes to Justin. First of all, let me just get on Dan Orlovsky. That whole narrative is nonsense. That Justin Fields' his work ethic is is an issue. I've heard all the issues with Justin Fields. I have a whole scouting report I put weaknesses for Justin Fields in my scouting report. Nothing in there had anything to do with work ethic. Because first of all, a lot of that is subjective, it's conjecture. There's no way of anybody being able to confirm that. But everything that we know about Justin Fields is the opposite. He is on a plant-based diet so that he could have the he could be in the best he could have been in the best shape possible this season. He played in the in the Sugar Bowl and the national championship game would a would a busted rib after he took a dirty shot in the first quarter when had he shut it down, would have been you would imagine, you projected at the time to be the number two pick in the draft. He fought for the Big Ten to have their season when he could have shut it down like Jamar Chase, like Penny Sewell, like Micah Parsons. He could have shut it down and said, "I'm not gonna play," but no, he wanted to play this season and risk not only his health, risk his draft stock, and risk millions of dollars. He decided, "I'm gonna play anyway." Again, I I I have some issues with the on-field critiques, but they're on-field critiques. But when you start throwing out these the the coded language and the dog whistles, it's called what they are around Justin Fields draft status and his his whole narrative is dangerous and Orlowski can say he didn't he he didn't say it or it's not coming from him or he doesn't believe it but why would you say this in the first place it doesn't make any sense and when you don't say who said it you don't even say a a a north an NFC north quarterback coach told me (laughs) this or uh, an AFC West player personnel exec told me this. He just said people are on the league. Like, that could be anybody. A ref could have told you that. Like, who is telling you this, though? It, like, I'm assuming that he said they're decision makers. Like, I mean, Gil Brandt, old Gil Brandt, Hall of Famer, went on Twitter after fields, after the 49ers traded up to three and said, I don't think this is going to be for fields. I've seen fields draft stock anywhere between the top five and the fourth round from teams around the league. Yeah. The fourth round. I mean, this is a joke. I, I like, and I'm not. I don't. I, I feel weird having to like defend Justin Fields because all these guys are great players. Like, they all have strengths and weaknesses, and I don't really care where any of these guys go. I don't have any stake in where Justin Fields ends up. But it feels like as a as a as a neutral observer. From afar, it feels like the bar is set a lot higher for Justin Fields than it it has been for any other quarterback in this draft class. EJ, have you heard any negatives about Trevor Lawrence in this draft cycle? No. No. There hasn't been one intelligent conversation about Trevor Lawrence's game and he has to improve on at the next level.
0: Uh, it's all—it's only praise. It's only praise. Zach Wilson
1: has issues in his game. He's a very good player. He has issues in his game, just like Justin Fields. But 99% of the conversation has been about he's a lot to go to number two, and everything that's good about Zach wilson and again i'm yeah. fine with that I'm, I'm i'm fine with you guys if you want to talk about
0: what's great about these players then do it yeah because that's the because because at the end of the day like a guy like for like even going back to that kevin durant conversation like the argument is that like oh you guys who don't know anything about this or can't do anything these guys do pick apart these guys games and like russell Westbrook kind of went on the rant similar right. to this uh, you know, and you guys, you know, ruin guys' chances of being great or doing the game because of your voice and your, you're not uplifting these kids. Um, so yeah, I like I totally agree. If you want to be more positive, that's fine.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah. I have no problem. Talking but why? About it. But why is
0: the why is the positivity seem to be exclusive to only quarterbacks? That don't look like Justin Fields.
1: Hey. hey. <laughs> It's strange. I
0: mean, it's, it's just strange. It, it, and like to it's me, strange. like what the way I look at it, Kendall, it looks like when I when I watch the commentary and I read the commentary and and it, I told you I love Zach Wilson. I kind of lean Wilson a little bit over yeah. I told you that. I told you that a bunch. I told you that during the regular <laughs> season. But what I see is every time there's conversations about Wilson, it's like, unless it's ironically, unless it's like, uh. Uh, either a black commentator or a black sports person, or someone who's like Ohio State fan, um, it's always about like, no, no, this is why you have to believe in Zach Wilson. Yes. And then what I see with Fields often is, no, 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 this is why what you saw, he actually wasn't that good. Like yes. it's real. Like it's really, it's 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 really it's, starting to get annoying. Like it's really it's real becoming. Annoying. Like, all I see is just, like, excuses after excuses for Wilson and Jones. And all I see for Fields is, no, 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 no. I don't care that he played better competition than Wilson, or I don't care what he did against Lawrence head-to-head. This is why he's not good. And it's just like— Well, Northwestern, (laughs) EJ. And my thing is, like, yo, if you wanted to keep it like that, just keep it like that for everybody. Like just, I, yo, just, just. I if you want to keep it like that, then, then 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 let's call what we saw from Zach Wilson in that Coastal Carolina game. Let's talk about some of the flaws in his game. Let's do it. I'm not. I'm okay with. I'm okay with critical analysis. I'm. I'm tired of this. We got to baby, everybody. Let me be yeah. clear on where I am. But if we're gonna be puff puff peace with everybody, then be puff puff peace with everybody, and let's not perpetuate racial stereotypes when we're not being all. You know, pom-pom cheering for these athletes. So th- I yeah, go ahead. So first of all,
1: what do you hear about Justin Fields? Because again, there, there's all this, there are all these knocks being drawn, and typically, no one's saying the stuff that Orlowski's saying. Orlowski threw out something that no one has ever said about Justin Fields. <laughs> but what do they do say about Justin Fields? They say he can't. First of all, the first thing he says, oh, did you see? But did you see he struggled against Northwestern. Struggled against Indiana. Okay. Um, Look at at Patrick Mahomes. Mm. Patrick Mahomes. Remember, we all know Patrick Mahomes. He was not a perfect prospect coming out of Texas Tech. He had games where he struggled. Um, Against Oklahoma in his sophomore season, he threw four interceptions. (laughs) Like... You know, if I go to Justin Herbert in his last year at Oregon, he had a game on national TV against Arizona State on the road where he played awful. Like, these guys have bad games. But, for whatever reason, Justin Fields were picking out the two bad games that he had, which were bad games. I'm not going to sugarcoat them, because they were what they were. And those are things that you have to take into context. But... Trevor Lawrence has had bad games. Trevor Lawrence didn't look particularly great against Ohio State no. in either game that they played no. against Ohio State. He didn't look <clears throat> any good against LSU in his sophomore season. He didn't play well against Georgia Tech in his sophomore season. And you know what? That is the most nitpicky of nitpicky like, things to say about Trevor Lawrence. Right. But why is it not nitpicky about Justin Fields?
0: Right, exactly.
1: Like, if I told Todd McShay... What happened to Trevor Lawrence against LSU? He would say, uh, I mean, you know, you had a bad game. It happens. Um, but whatever. But for whatever reason, with Justin Fields, I, if is I his, point to
0: this Is an indictment on his ability?
1: It's Oh, yeah, but he couldn't read
0: the safety <laughs> right. against
1: Northwestern. Pat right. Fitzgerald is one of the best coaches in college football. They had the 100%. number one defense in the country last year. 100%. They gave problems. Okay. Like.
0: They still well, how- won the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: He was playing. He was playing banged up. They won the game, and then the next, he he dealt with a, a month of the same media vitriol, saying that right. he was he was he was a choke artist. He's overrated. And then he went out and he dominated Trevor Lawrence's Clemson team. Yeah, put on a and,
0: show of shows in
1: that. And yet we we well, still it's like there's still this, this this negative thing about him. And it, it again, I mean, I'm I like. And it's all the media scouts. Like, I don't know what these NFL teams are doing. Mm. If, the, if the 49ers draft Mac Jones, then they look, they look suspect. But it is what it is. But, like, when I see, when I'm watching television and I see them saying, oh, you know, Mac Jones, you know, such a such a great uh, processor and, you know, such a high IQ player, these are dog whistles. <laughs> like, right. Mac Jones is a, he's a good quarterback. But what he had to do on that Alabama team
0: is—it's. You also say that about guys that don't have much ability. Let's be honest. Yes. Like like unless you're Peyton Manning, like they're very you know like they're very rarely like whenever like you're you're trying to convince yourselves like that's what they said about Daniel Jones like whenever you try to convince yourself of a guy who's not a special doesn't have special ability you say oh but like he knows the game so well like it overcompensates like that's what bizarre to me.
1: And, no, look, Tommy Shea and Daniel Jeremiah do a million times the work that I do in terms of having to watch all these guys. They've got loads of scouting reports on 300-plus players. But, and I think they, like, say what you want about their evaluation of Wilson versus Fields. I think that's a close one. I have no problem with you saying you think Zach Wilson is better than Justin Fields. Yeah, I think it's they close, all, to- for, since... end of the season have said that justin fields is a better player than mac jones um now that there is this narrative that san francisco might draft mac jones why is there not this like flabbergast at the idea that the 49ers might draft a worse prospect than justin fields if there was all this talk that the jaguars were going to draft mac jones over trevor lawrence
0: there would be a ton of flabbergast We'd be like, "What's going on?" Right. But for whatever reason, it's like like, there's that, like there no, like no one, no one before the season ended, and even after the season ended, like thought that like Mac Jones and Justin Fields were on the same level. Not at all. It was clearly not
1: the fifth guy, right? In this quarterback class, and randomly, he's gotten bumped up to three, in the eyes of the media. How there haven't been any games played? There's been a couple of pro days, which ninety nine percent of people would tell you, including those same people, don't take anything from the pro days. Right. What has happened to where this has changed? It's 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 one of the most bizarre things I've seen. Um, if Fields drops, I don't think he will. I think the forty nine ers are going to draft. I think this is all smoke screen. I just can't imagine
0: that. I, I John- mean, I think they'd be I- crazy to draft. Any, I, I think they'd be crazy to draft Lance or, or Matt Jones over Fields. That's how, my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, I mean, to me, especially given
1: everything that he gave up, if you do that to draft Mac Jones, <laughs> I mean, I oh don't know God. how to. <laughs> so, and I, I consider John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan a smart, a smartly ran, front office and franchise. You know, two smart individuals, I would imagine they're not going to bungle that, but
0: that's the early word. Um, I mean, to me, that's like drafting like, and I, and I love this guy, but I mean, to me, like, Mac Jones' ceiling is like Chad Pennington. It's like, you trade <laughs> all that for that? That's what that is to me. It's like Chad Pennington that's a good shoulder, it's a good b- before the shoulder injury. Yeah. Like, oh, but he's accurate. Like, he makes the right throws. He makes the right reads. He's not going to blow anybody away with his arm, but he's never going to make the wrong read. I'm like, okay, but you you traded away all those picks for him. And then. And I love Chad Painting. He's he's my all time favorite Jet. Let me be clear about that. But that's what, that's to me. Like, if you think Mac Jones is going to be great, like, that's what he is to me. Whatever Chad Painting is in this, like, NFL, that's what he is. The other thing, real quick, that bothers me is
1: when we talk about what's good about Dustin Fields, is natural, natural athlete. I mean, Chris Sims. The way he talks about Justin Fields is just bonkers. I mean, he has him fifth in this quarterback class behind Kellen Mond of all people at, at four. It, it is what it is, yeah. but like the like the way these guys they talk, natural athlete. You know, Chris Sims says he's a bad thrower of the football. I mean, that's just ridiculous. You can't be a bad thrower of the football and win the Elite Eleven competition, right? Come on, it's man. a strictly passing competition.
0: Like it wasn't. First of, all, like- if he was a, first of all, if he was a bad thrower of the football, he wouldn't be the fifth quarterback. Like to me, you're already capping. Because yeah. no bad, no bad thrower of the football is the fifth quarterback unless he's like. And I know this guy ended up being a really good thrower, but unless he's like Lamar Jackson, right? You're like, Yo, man, but the guy's athleticism is so crazy. <laughs> but like otherwise, like he ain't gonna be the fifth guy if he's a bad thrower, right? Well, Chris Sims, ironically
1: enough, apparently loved coming out. Had him as his number yeah, one guy. Yeah, which is
0: crazy to think that.
1: And now all of a sudden, Justin Fields is like, yeah, I, I don't want him. I don't like him. Right, sure, so it, but, like, it's always this, it's always the dog whistle about, oh, he's got all of these physical tools, but, you know, can he read? Improve? he read. it's like, I, I almost feel like first, Justin like, Fields. First of all, when has reading progressions ever been, like, the first thing and the only thing that we look at when it comes to quarterback play? Like, it's, it reminds me of the Eric B. Enemy thing where we're making these. These leaps that we've he's, never made for yeah, anybody. Yeah,
0: they, yeah, they're moving the goalposts on things that like... Yeah, you know, like,
1: the goalposts because that may be his weakness. When like, we've had so many quarterbacks that have been drafted over the
0: right.
1: years. It's like, who were wearing one-read systems. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? You could argue Trevor Lawrence is on a one-read right. system. Right, he's 100%. But, yeah. You know, he's dinking and dunking. Like, and again, I, these are all, you know, constructive criticisms of Trevor Lawrence. Doesn't mean he's going to be a scrub but it's the honest commentary. Right. Now yeah. when I look at Fields and when and, and I hear that like even someone had a compliment um on ESPN, they said I was talking to a scout on at the pro day who said he reminds me of Josh Allen. And they they used that to say like oh, Fields is going to be really good. And you know what I thought? Josh Allen coming out, what he, had, he was a bad college quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> What a fifty-seven percent completion percentage! <laughs> Justin Fields is a much better college player. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I think man. like Justin Fields is just some freak athlete who right. like has all these tools, but he's a bad quarterback. He was the second best player in college football. Yeah, I know. It, it, it's nuts. I mean, I don't. It, it, again, you know, it, it, one of these teams is gonna is gonna make out like bandits. Probably gonna be New England if 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 they listen to these these bozos on TV sometimes.
0: And I can't, you can't help them. So you can't help yourself. No, you said everything that needed to be said. The only thing I will say, I agree with almost everything. The only thing I will say is in, in, in relation to, um, or specifically, I only, and trust me, we're a podcast. We say all the time, we don't like name drop. We've drop dropped plenty today. <laughs> so you like, you like to hear us talk spicy. This is already the spicy. You will hear us talk, but, um, just for a cause I only say this. I did tweet him today. Um, I feel, you know, because he's, you know, he's on there copping, please. You know, he's he's coming back saying, oh, this this is not what I'm saying about Justin. This is what people were saying about Justin. I think Justin is great, which, in to give him just the smallest bit of bail, that is true. He has spoke highly of Justin.
1: Yeah, in the past. Yeah, I give right. him some credit in that.
0: But to me, this is the problem when you, when, and again, we're I'm in my critical social sports media bag today. I, mean, I don't normally do this on the podcast. But this is the problem when the effort, we, we don't care about real journalists and all we want to do is just put talking heads and promote them as the only voices in sports media that matter. Because Dan Orlovsky, if he had any journalistic integrity and any journalistic uh, instincts, would understand that, okay, I'm being told something that without any context is highly racially charged. Maybe I should do some homework and call Ohio State, call the people that he works with and say, yo, this is what people are saying, that with really no context, what, what are you seeing? Are these real concerns about Justin? He didn't do that. I know he didn't do that because he just he told himself today that he said, well, after that and after I got barbecued on social media, I then called Ohio State. I'm like, how is that not your first call? Like, that's the kind of stuff that gets black folks pissed off because. There's no benefit of the doubt when it comes to this thing, It's you can say anything about a black person and. You just, oh, well, that's what they said. I don't know. What am I supposed to do? The first it's thing that like, when you're a journalist, you can call, pick up the phone and call and see if it's true. It's so and like, that's people, not just sports. Yeah. That's every element of like society. When you told me what Orlovsky
1: said, the first thing I thought, I don't know if I said it to you, but I know the first thing I thought was Ryan Day would never say that. Like 100 percent. No yeah. one that's ever been around the Ohio State program would ever say that about Justin fit So I don't know who's hearing that. But, like, he didn't get that from the source
0: that would know that. Right. Or, or is he getting it from Georgia? Because if, he <laughs> if he's getting it from Georgia or if the NFL scouts are concerned about what they're hearing from Georgia, well, then that's a story that needs context. Like, yes. But a journalist would know that. The problem with sports media is we don't care about journalism anymore. It's only just about who's more entertaining, who can get clicks Who can get views? Who can keep audience retention? That's all that matters now. So, and Odoloski, great at all that. He's a really good sports personality. He's a good talker. I think he knows the game. But not a journalist. And when you keep propping up non-journalists in this field, and you just give them impunity to say and do whatever, and we treat them as journalists, this is what you get. And, it's, and, and, and that's why I'm so hot right now. Because, again, this is something that we've seen. Similar to Kevin Durant, we've seen this kind of thing happening for how many years? And nobody wants to talk about how this is a problem. I, I'm all for former athletes getting a platform and getting to speak on the game. We need their input. We need them in this field. 100%. The problem I have is... There seems to be a lack of interest, a lack of, of of recruiting, and of cultivating any talent, especially a black talent, that is not a former athlete. And if you're and if you're not a former athlete and you do get that kind of shine, you do get cultivated, it's to be a hot take shock shock. And that's why our sports discourse it's so broken. It's ridiculous that we're having this stupid conversation about whether or not Justin Fields has the mental aptitude and the physical and the you know and, and wants it more. The kid's been elite since ninth grade, and he was elite last year. You think a kid that was that good at thirteen years old and is this good at twenty two? You think that guy doesn't like football?
1: <laughs> that's not, that's not got, common sense. He's only been a, he was only he only started two seasons of college football, and in both years. He led his team to the
0: college football playoff,
1: <laughs> undefeated he's regular season. like how the
0: kid has been elite his entire life, and we're not talking about a kid that was six foot six, two sixty, and just is physically gifted in a way. He's not that kind of kid. He's no. been nice since he was twelve years old, and we've all known his name, and he's the guy that we don't think loves the game. Come on, man! Like this stuff is just so absurd, and it's so obvious what's going on that I, that's why I have no qualms talking to Dana Velocity on this podcast because this is ridiculous, and this is and if we don't talk about it and we don't call out this kind of foolishness, it's just going to keep happening. But like, we can't tiptoe around it anymore. What he did was, and I'm glad. Shout out to Bucky Barnes, NFL Network, NFL.com. Bucky Brooks, yeah. Bucky Brooks, sorry, sorry, Bucky Brooks. Bucky,
2: Bur- Bucky Brooks. The Winter Soldier. Shout out, right? shout out to the
0: Winter Soldier. Always shout out to the Winter Soldier, first of all. But at least post uh, his days with Hydra. <laughs> but uh, but no, Bucky, Bucky Brooks. Big, big apologies to Bucky Brooks. But shout out to him for having time. Shout out to Kirk Herbstreet for having time. For calling out what this is. Because a lot of these people in the media, they want to play patty cake too. They don't want to mess up with their relationships. They don't want to you know, start anything. So they, they don't, they, they, they do the, uh, the, the subliminal shots on social media. I love seeing those, the subliminals. You know, just the random thoughts of, I, I think that we should always be mindful of how we talk about quarterbacks. It's like, we know who you're talking about. Like, that doesn't <laughs> do much. I liked what I saw from Bucky Brooks and Curb Herstreet retweeting Homeboy and saying, what is this? Because yeah. that's, that's the only way we're going to really start to fix this. These people need to understand where they're messing up. Because it, it's, it's bigger than football. It goes beyond that. Yeah. I mean, Chris Sims. What a podcast. You no, know, <laughs> last thing
1: I, can I, do. When I hear Chris Sims talking about Justin Fields is like Cam Newton, you know, he, not much of a thrower, but a great runner. It just, what are you talking about? Like, Justin Fields has made it, because, because of people like Chris Sims and Dan Orlowski, Justin Fields has clearly made it a mission. Since he was in high school, to prove to people that he is a an elite thrower of the football. Like, I put that in my scouting report of Justin Fields that clearly because he tries to prove to people that he needs to throw the football, or that he can throw the football, he which he's like, proven to me right. a million times, that I think he actually holds himself back from being oh, it, like an even more dangerous weapon as a runner.
0: Right. Like And the guy ran a four four, so we know. And the
1: guy ran a four four. Like yeah. But he's not Cam Newton.
0: He's not built like Cam Newton. It's but again, it's just ridiculous. It's just, it's, the only difference is their skin tone. There's only there's only similarity. There's nothing similar between him and I watched Cam Newton play his entire career at Auburn, which was only one year. I watched Justin Fields' entire career at Ohio State. It's it's ridiculous to compare those two. Cam Absolutely. Newton is six foot six, two hundred and sixty pounds. Yes. Come on, like it. This, but again, Kendall. There's no, there isn't, there isn't a value in real, ser- any, 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 any commentary that's beyond surface level and journalism. It's only about shock value, clicks, yeah. and audience retention. And unfortunately, the kind of assessment you're getting from Chris Sims generates more buzz. And- so... He's gonna there keep, a so he, in this day and in this in this in this era, in this troll era that we live in, he's gonna keep a job. Let's keep it a hundred. That's what for this some is. reason there there is a like there
1: there is there seems to be an effort to tear down Justin Fields is uh his talent his productiveness his his <laughs> his ability to play the quarterback position I don't and I don't know why again all these guys are are great quarterbacks like but why is it with justin fields that we again we continue to highlight his flaws and ignore the rest of these guys i I, like it, it 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 confuses me why why is mac jones being put as the third quarterback in this draft just, like, very, 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 like, sneakily being thrown into the— Oh, yeah, he's going to go to number three because, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan, you know, did a great job with Jimmy Garoppolo and Matt Ryan. Like, why would you want Jimmy Garoppolo and Matt Ryan? Like, I mean, Matt Ryan, I guess, is fine. That's, like, the best-case scenario for Mac Jones. Like, by far the best-case scenario. <laughs> like, But Kyle Shanahan is trying to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. He clearly doesn't want him as his guy. Why would he want a guy who's built like Jimmy Garoppolo, when the best quarterbacks in the league are all built like Justin Fields? Mm, speak on. It doesn't make any sense. But it's like we feel like one plus one equals two. But again, these people are jumping to, they they jump into a million different loops, and they're jumping through a million different hoops to say that, oh, it's got to be Mac Jones because Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch went to the Pro Day. And you know what? I got tricked by that. I was like, look, I mean, maybe these guys are that stupid. But, you know what? <laughs> that same day, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch said,
0: they, they no. They like, found the red
1: eye. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do we, – we're calling up Justin Fields now. We want him to do a second pro day. Fields is like, yeah, I'll do a second pro day because I'm not the last guy in first when to leave.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: I have no problem showing off my ability to throw the football at a pro day because I'm an advanced thrower of the football. And – those guys clearly have an interest in Justin Fields. And yet, I again, I'll say this. I'll be shocked if Mac Jones is the pick. If it's Trey Lance, I, I wouldn't be shocked.
0: I'd be surprised. I'd be shocked if it's Mac Jones. Wow. I feel like that was uh, one of the best half hours of this podcast um, in a while. I think this whole show has been fired. Uh, this was, was supposed to be a short show, but we're at the two-hour mark. Uh, but it's been great. I've enjoyed every conversation we've had. This was a really fun podcast. Uh, maybe the midnight edition of Hero Sports Talk should, should be done more often because we were bringing fire today. There wasn't any tiptoeing. There wasn't much. Uh, wasn't much. Uh, you know, being. I mean, we're always careful what we say, but it wasn't. We definitely, you know, didn't pull any punches. Let's say that. Um. So I hope you guys enjoyed it, man. This was a hell of a show. Um. Hope you guys enjoyed the Final for this weekend. Of course, you can catch all of our podcasts on the New Generation Podcast Network. By the way, well, let me, New Generation Podcast Network, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, that you're in tune-in. Also, catch us on YouTube, and YouTube is important today because as we come out of the Justin Fields conversation, um, we got a very special guest on uh, on our uh, YouTube channel that will be up very soon. It's actually an NFL draft discussion. It will be a full about 40-minute discussion um, uh, with a former... Colleague of Kendall's at Sports Info Solutions talking about the NFL draft, breaking down prospects. So um, if you want to see, um, I think, a great, a very good uh, assessment of Justin Fields' game, not what we've heard in a lot of the mainstream <laughs> media in the last few days, uh, check out that video. That'll be up on YouTube probably by the time you listen to this, or if not, very soon after. Um, New Generation Media is where you find us on YouTube. Check us out on social media. Uh, Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast, uh, and Facebook. We have a Facebook page as well. You can find us, New Generation Media. Um, individually, I can be found on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. Instagram, Action EJ. Can be found on Twitter, at NewGenKen. Thank you guys so much for checking out this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. With Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.